And good morning. It is a Tuesday edition of GCR, a trade deadline edition of GCR. A lot of rumors swirling this morning. Orioles in on the Tigers pitchers. Orioles in on, yes, Justin Verlander. A lot of rumors. A lot of rumors. We'll see how it all plays out during the course of the day. In just a second, Tim Kirkshen is going to join us. And then later on in the program, we're going to catch up. We're going to continue our 40th anniversary celebration of the Orioles winning the 1983 World Series. As Tito Landrum, one of the most unlikely heroes in Orioles history, will check in with us, of course. He of the uh, ALCS winning home run in 1983. We'll catch up with uh, Tito Landrum later on in the program. And we will monitor every single rumor. Of course, the Orioles got a nice win last night. Austin Hayes coming to the rescue in the ninth inning. Felix Batista going five outs in order to finish it off as the Birds won 4-2 over the Blue Jays. But all eyes on today, 6 o'clock, MLB trade deadline. Joining us now, one of our favorites, of course, from ESPN, once upon a time in the Baltimore Sun, the great Tim Kirkchen spends a couple of minutes with us on a very busy day. Tim, it's Glenn in Baltimore. Really appreciate you taking a couple of minutes today. Thanks so much for hopping on with us. Uh, my pleasure. Big day ahead. Can't yeah. wait to see what happens. A lot of rumors swirling this morning about the Orioles and Justin Verlander. I know it's Justin Verlander we're talking about, but is the right move for the Orioles to be making at the deadline to add a 40-plus-year-old pitcher because of control? Like, is that how, – how do we measure Justin Verlander at this point in his career? Well, he's still really good. His last seven starts, he's allowed – six earned runs. So he can be a difference maker for any team, Astros, Diamondbacks, Dodgers, Orioles, name it. He can, he can be that good for a two month, if not longer period. The danger of course is how much money you're going to have to pay Mm -hmm. him and how much you're going to have to give up to get him. And we know the Orioles are really hesitant as they should be to drain that farm system in any way, because that farm system is the biggest reason the Orioles are where they are right now. The best team in the American league because the young talent just keeps on coming. So this is where GMs earn all their money right now. Are we in? Are we out? Are we going to take on this money and give up a young player or two to get somebody who can help us now, but who knows after that, it's it's a fascinating spot that the Orioles and a lot of other teams are in right. Now. I feel like you know I've I've had this conversation a couple times, Tim. When I've brought up other pitchers that control would be a factor, guys like Dylan Cease, guys like Corbin Burns during the course of this process, I've said, hey, look, I'd probably be more inclined. You know, I you don't want to pay the price of a Kobe Mayo or a Heston Kerstad or somebody like that. But if you're talking about a pitcher with control, I I would feel differently. I just don't. Like the the control aspect is so much stranger for a pitcher in their forties, you know. Like, and as you point out, the money, even if the Mets take a good chunk, is more than we're going to have seen the Orioles spend on much of anyone in a long time, save for uh, Chris Davis at this point. Um, yes. D- does that? Does, yes. And if, yeah, if, go ahead. if Verlander pitches one hundred and forty innings next year, then his um, option year in twenty twenty five automatically vests. Right. And now you're now you're talking about roughly ninety million dollars that you're gonna take on with Justin Verlander. And I repeat, he is a difference maker, but 
that's a lot of money for a pitcher in his 40s. Do you think he would want to come? I mean, that's the other side of this, right? Like, that he's he's from Virginia and apparently was a big Mike Messina fan growing up. Do you think that he would be enticed by being the final piece the way that he was once upon a time in Houston to waive his no-trade clause? Yeah, he is such a wildly competitive person, and I could tell you hours of stories about that with him, that I think he looks at himself and says, boy, the Orioles haven't won the World Series since 1983, and I could make the difference on that team, and they're not exactly the hometown team, but he does have a connection there, and I think he would love to be that guy that would come in and say, yes, I'm the final piece. We're going to win the World Series because of me or partly because of me. Now, that doesn't mean that's where he's going to end up. Right, He'll definitely right. say yes to the Orioles. But, yeah, he's, he's, things like that really, really appeal to him because he's such a competitor. Ah, boy, I'm I'm getting myself. I'm let, letting myself believe, Tim. I'm allowing myself <laughs> to think that it might be possible. The two pitchers in Detroit have also uh, come up an awful lot: Lorenzen and, of course, Eduardo Rodriguez, who was once a part of time part of the Andrew Miller deal um, and was and left Baltimore that way. Um, both would likely be, you know, rentals as Eduardo Rodriguez has an opt out. I guess the rumors are that the Tigers are asking for a lot in return. Is it worth paying a lot for either one of these guys as a rental? Yeah, well, both of them would help the Orioles quite a bit. I wouldn't say they're a difference maker like Justin Berlander potentially could be, but they are. A, they would be a veteran presence at the top of a rotation, and I, I would have faith in both of those guys pitching in a postseason game in on the road and and not you know being overwhelmed by it but again the asking price is going to be huge because so many teams out there are yeah. buyers right mm-hmm. now because so many teams are still in the race and so many teams think well if we get in we can do some damage in October just like the Phillies did last year last team in and they went to the World Series so you got to be careful with the asking price. The thing you know about Mike Elias is as a player development, there's no way he's going to trade a really, really good young player for just a two month rental. Um, and I think Oriole fans should recognize that. And I, and I certainly understand that. And I know a lot of people mocked what he said last week, but he's right. Like, you know, the world's not going to end in November. And they do have bigger plans. I, I do wonder if it's mitigated a bit by the glut of like infield prospects that they have that, you know, whether it's a Joey Ortiz, a Connor Norby, are, are they more inclined to perhaps trade someone even for a rental simply because there's just no world in which that guy is probably going to ever play for this team or have a role given how many players they have at those positions? Right. And that's, again, the strength of the Orioles right now are their young they're young players who give them resources that other teams don't have. I mean, Gunnar Henderson is your shortstop of the future, unless it's Jackson Jackson holiday. Holiday, Like very few teams have two shortstops of the future and they have infielders everywhere. uh, Whether it's Urias or Mateo who played really well in the major leagues last year and really don't have the same spot that they did last year. So there are all sorts of options to move players, and that's why I believe this is going to come down to the final couple hours 
uh, of the trade deadline before the Orioles and several other teams uh, make their big move. I have been admittedly desirous. I have coveted uh, Josh Hader throughout this process. Are we at the point where we think maybe the Padres, after the weekend they had, are, are probably not going to be as inclined to deal a Hader, deal a Snell at this point? Yeah, I, I think they're going to hang on to their two guys because even though they're both free agents at the end of the season and it might make more sense to deal them both now, I think when you're the Padres, and you raise the expectations so enormously in spring training, and you have a tremendously talented team there, I just don't know how you're going to go to your fan base and say, all right, we're, we're going we're gonna to bail on this season. We're going to trade yeah. Blake Snell, who's been the best pitcher in the league, basically, for the last two months, and Josh Hader, who is an elite closer. I think they're going to hang on to all their guys, because I think they look at it and say, if somehow we can get into the playoffs, we can be a very dangerous team in October. And they're probably right about that. They probably are. Tim, is there anything to be made for? Like, I, I'm trying to say this the right way. I don't think it's life or death if the Orioles make a significant move today, right? I understand the points that Michael Elias has made that you just brought up. But I also know that on the other side, they're, they're here, right? Like... They, they have the best record in the American League. This is not a fluke any longer. They, I, I have some sort of opportunity in front of them, and it's a fan base that's been through a lot, and they haven't started you know, giving extensions to the young players yet. There's still the whole lease thing. Is there an importance of taking advantage of this opportunity that goes beyond just like looking at this from a, hey, this might be only the start of the window that the organization maybe needs to say to the fan base, hey, believe in what we're doing. We're taking this seriously. Get on board with us and, and doing something in order to back that up. Yeah. Look, the Orioles should make a trade for a starting pitcher, but they don't have to make a trade for a starting pitcher. That's not life or death for right now because their starting pitching is just okay. Is that going to be enough in October? I'm not sure. But I think they can look at their fans and say, we're going to be good for a really long time. This is not a team where the window is closing after the season and we have to win and we have to win now because they're all leaving like the Pirates did in the early 90s. That's mm -hmm. not the case. It's the opposite here. And uh, the Orioles need, I believe, to get that message out. And yet the best way to present the message is to say, we're going for it this year, but you have to understand even better years are ahead because Grayson Rodriguez and Gunnar Henderson and all these guys are going to get even better moving forward. No, I under, like the, the, in a perfect world, you make a move that doesn't cost you a ton, shows we're willing to do something, and yet keeps your nucleus together, keeps that core intact, allows you to say both things. If they don't make a move today, Tim, boy, it would be great if at like 7 o'clock tonight they did announce uh, a, you know extension for Gunnar Henderson. Boy, it would go a long way. <laughs> Uh, for getting this fan base to be all right. I don't think it's going to happen, but it would be very nice for this fan base to see something like that. It's... Yeah, look, they're in good shape moving forward, really good shape, but they'll be in even better shape if they end today with a starting pitcher, but just like you said, without really damaging a great farm system. Before I let you go, Tam, and I, I truly appreciate the time, is there a name that, that I haven't brought up that you would say – you know, don't ignore this person today as a possibility. Well, the 
Jack Flaherty situation has me completely confused. Look, I know he's a free agent after the season, but I also know that three years ago, that guy was great. Mm-hmm. He wasn't just good. He was great for a short amount of time. And I just refuse to believe that he's lost whatever he had and it's not coming back. So if I'm a team and I'm dealing with the Cardinals and they're not asking too much, I have to take a run at Jack Flaherty and hope that he finds whatever he has lost here this year and in previous years with injuries and everything else. Um, he's, he's an intriguing guy to me. Uh, his velocity's down. That's not a good sign, but uh, he's such an athlete. He's such a competitor. Uh, I don't understand why he's not better, and maybe he would get better if he went to a new team, fresh start, and uh, someone found something in him that he has lost. And to the point, the Orioles have an innings problem no matter what, right? Obviously, the, the Tyler Wells and Grayson Rodriguez coming up, and so they might just need someone to give them innings on top of everything else the rest of the way. Tim Kirkshen, I know you're an extraordinarily busy man. Thank you for squeezing us in this morning. I really appreciate it. Look forward to chatting again real soon, all right? Okay, my pleasure, Glenn. Thank you. Thank you. Tim Kirkshen with us here on GCR for a few minutes. As, uh, boy, you don't get that every day where it's deadline day and someone like Tim Kirkshen says, yeah, I'll hop on with you for a minute. So I greatly appreciate him doing that. Um, torn, right? Torn. It's tearing up my heart when I'm with you. But when I'm apart, I feel it too. Um I like the idea of Justin Verlander. And the Orioles, given how low their payroll is, should be able to soak up that money. To me, it's more a question of how long can this continue? Are you going to get to a point where some point next year it's going to seem really bad? And the Orioles, unfortunately, the recent history would suggest that they don't do well with bad contracts. That impacts them and their willingness to spend elsewhere. And their w- the last time they gave out a bad contract, it caused them to sort of shut down completely. Now, this would not be Chris Davis because it wouldn't be the length of a Chris Davis deal. But to the point, if by next year Justin Verlander starts to fall off a cliff, and I'm not suggesting that we have any reason to believe that that's the case, then you'd have a couple of years of potentially bad money. Combine that with whatever the Mets' asking price would be. And it's easy for us to say that, hey, if they wanted the number three prospect from the Rangers, that the Orioles' number three prospect isn't the same as the Rangers' number three prospect. And that that we know. But that doesn't mean that that's not what the asking price is. That the Mets aren't saying, we want one of your top three prospects or we're not doing this. Well, that seems steep. But on the flip side, if Justin Verlander, I know I'm having the argument with myself, but that's really what I'm doing. I'm measuring all of this. On the flip side, if Justin Verlander can be Justin Verlander still to the age of 41, the age of 42, then it might be worth I was talking about paying a price for Corbin Burns just because he had one more year of control. Now you're talking about a scenario where you could have, if he pitches 140 innings next year, two more years of control of us, Justin Verlander. And while it seems crazy to talk about someone who's 42 continuing to pitch at an absurdly high level, who knows? Maybe that's the case. Maybe Justin Verlander can do that. 
there would also be an argument that would be made by some that Justin Verlander, given who he is, if it starts to fall apart next year, might not be hell-bent on sticking it out. At that point, he might be more inclined to just retire, and then the contract situation wouldn't be as problematic. You wouldn't have as much money that you'd be on the hook for the following year. It's all part of the conversation. Justin Verlander certainly isn't as clean as some of the younger pitching pitchers that we've talked about, but he is Justin Verlander. And you need somebody to start a game in the World Series, you're going to feel pretty good. But he's also 40. I I don't know! I don't know what to make of any of it. I struggle with it. It seems exciting. And it ain't my money, right? So I should just say, the hell with it. Go spend the money. But at the same time, I want the Orioles to spend the money on their guys. I don't want the Orioles taking on $40 million two years from now on Justin Verlander to be why it is they say, well, you know, I don't know if we can really afford to try to, to buy um, Gunnar Henderson's arbitration years out because we got to give $40 million to Justin Verlander in 2025. That's why it's all so damn complicated. It is trade deadline day, of course. We're here on Glenn Clark Radio. That would make me Glenn. Griffin's here, too. Today's show is brought to you by our friends, your local Toyota dealer, and buyatoyota.com. The Toyota Tacoma comes in a range of models and trim lines, so you can choose the perfect Tacoma to reflect your unique personality and driving habits. Check out buyatoyota.com for deals on new Tacomas from your local Toyota dealer today. So I guess there's not, like, a great chance the Mets would, like, help buy out any of The assumption is that the Mets would do exactly what they did with with Scherzer. With Verlander, which is a good chunk of money, right? Like, it's it's nice, it's helpful, but it's only for the two years. Would not impact the vested year two years from now gotcha. that Justin Verlander gets if he pitches 140 innings next season. And if you think that the and control if, yeah, matters... Yeah, you make that trade, you better. Well, if, if you think the control is why yes. it is that you want to go get Justin Verlander, then you're expecting him to pitch 140 innings next year. Man. So... It, I'm not to say it complicates things. It doesn't. It complicates things for the Orioles. For most people, it probably doesn't complicate things at all. Most people probably say, "Again, hell yeah, go get that guy." I'm measuring in a strange way. It's easy to say, "Hey, the Orioles should have this type of money. They're not. Their payroll is next to nothing. There should be no problem for them paying this type of money." And. To an extent, I agree. On the flip side, I, I'm i going to go back and say all of the same things that I said originally when we talked about Chris Davis. I was on board of the Orioles signing Chris. There were people that at the time were like, this is insane. This is a one-trick pony. This is a guy who doesn't... Like, this is going to... Nobody thought it was going to be as bad as it was, but there were a lot of people that thought the Orioles were being reckless in that moment and, again, competing against themselves in free agency. I think we know that Dan Duquette was not really all that interested in paying that amount of money for Chris Davis. My point was, this is a good thing as long as this isn't the only money that you're going to spend. I wrote an entire entire column about it. If... If this is, we're going to sign Chris Davis and now not re-sign Manny Machado, well, this is bonkers. This is a good move 
as long as this isn't the only money you're ever going to spend. If if you're only ever going to spend money on one player, Chris Davis is not the player to do it with. But if this is a sign that you're getting to a point where you're spending money on multiple players and you're doing what, then yeah, absolutely. Again, in, in hindsight, we now know that was insane. But at the time, I was on board with that caveat. And what I would say is, if you're entering a period in which you're going to be willing to spend real money and open up a little bit, then let's go. Absolutely. Spend the money on Justin Verlander. Do it. It's a risk worth taking. But if doing this with Justin Verlander and having you know, a $40 million in 2025 hanging in the balance is going to prevent you from spending the money on your own baseball players, then I'm going to be out. And I get it. At some point, they're going to have to spend on pitching because they don't have it. It's the thing we keep saying over and over again. Even if we accept Kyle Bradish, and I'm not going to let one bad start last week change my mind about Kyle Bradish. Even if we accept that Kyle Bradish is definitively part of the solution, maybe not a you know ace, maybe not even a number two, but definitively part of the solution, and we have better reason to believe. Both are flimsy, but we have reason to believe that like Grayson Rodriguez, Kyle Bradish, probably part of the solution. Anybody else? Uh, you know... I, I still think it's Tyler Wells is more a part of the solution than he is part of the problem, but Dean Kramer, you're not sold on Dean Kramer. I'd still think it's 50-50 on Dean Kramer, right? Like, I think he's a guy, if you had the rest of you, if you were confident, I've got a one, I've got a two, I've got a three, then you'd be okay with Dean Kramer at the back end of your rotation. But, but, when, but when he's the borderline one. Well, no, not, he's definitely not the borderline one. Well, he's 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 right, at one at one point in the season, I guess. Every, he was never he guy. was never better than Bradish has been your yeah. Bradish okay. and Wells have been your one and two, right? So in a world where Wells is no longer one of your one or two, then you could say Kramer and Gibson have been borderline two three, but you know we're splitting hairs right, here. Right, right. What I'm saying is if if you were confident in the guys that you had at the top of the rotation, you'd be fine with Kramer at the back end, like. Dean Kramer is a fine fourth or fifth starter. Fifth, really. I mean, there's too much bad Kramer in there for him to be anything other than that. Um, for a, I mean, for talking for a team that's trying to compete for a World Series championship. Mm-hmm. But you're not confident about those guys at the top. You're thinking that right now you need a one. Hopefully in the next year, Grayson Rodriguez is your two. Bradish is your three. And then go from there, right? But you don't have a one. So everybody starts bumping up and not comfortable. There's only two guys that you are confident right now. And I don't even know if you can say confident. There's two guys that you think can be top three pitchers in a rotation. Grayson and Bradish. Wells, maybe. Kramer, in moments. I don't think, I, I, I don't think Kramer can ever be a top three pitcher in the rotation. But he could be a back-end guy if you solidified that, and that's fine. They have to spend money on pitching. There's nothing else coming. I mean, maybe Seth Johnson, maybe – like, these are all guys that are maybes. Right. That nobody thinks of as top of the – that doesn't mean they, they won't be. Nobody thought of John Means as that guy, and it certainly John Means complicates this because you're going to have to figure out what you have when he gets back and whether or not he slots right back in as a top-of-the-rotation pitcher next year. But you need to spend money at some point on pitching. Is Justin Verlander the way to go about doing that? 
It's I don't hard, know. Yeah, hard I to don't say. know. Any chance, whenever you have the opportunity to get a Justin Verlander. Like, if this came down to either you're doing Justin Verlander or you're doing nothing, like, I, okay, I could see why the inclination would be, let's go ahead and do it. Mm-hmm. Now, again, I got to know what the actual cost is. If you're giving up Heston Kerstad, that's tough. I mean, that's yeah. tough. I get it. You're getting control. I, I don't think they can do that. I don't think they. If it's if it's Kerstad. Whereas I was inclined to give up Heston Kerstad for a Corbin Burns. Like I I was inclined to say I will pay Would the you price do of Heston cease as well. It's it's so tip difficult yeah. to have a cease conversation, right? Because he's just been so. It's like like Tim bringing up Jack Flaherty. Like yeah. ah. I get it, but I mean, if they went and got Jack Flair, I think that shut. It us would up. be something. Yeah. I don't know what it would be. He's like a four or five ERA this season. Yeah. Like I, he's had. I mean, like as Tim's. I mean, he's had starts where I think he was. He's been completely on it, and then he's had starts where he's got a four four three ERA and a one five five WHIP this season. It, it it's not just that those aren't top yeah, of the rotation yeah, numbers. Yeah, one five WHIP like those are those are Dean Kramer numbers essentially, right? Like you've got that guy. I, I don't need another Dean Kramer. Now, again, maybe the argument would be you do, and is, if you're not paying much of anything for him, if you're, mm-hmm. you know, if, if the cost of that is Easton Lucas, then <laughs> okay, I, I, it can't hurt. Maybe you're catching lightning in a bottle. But if the move they made today was Jack Flaherty, it would not, this fan base would not say, oh, hell yeah, we're all in. It would be, okay, but in fairness, that's the way we treated um yeah, his walk, his walk numbers are horrible. Yeah, it's bad, year. dude. In his first bad. start of the year, he didn't allow a hit, but he walked seven guys. <laughs> Over how many innings? Over five innings. It's a weird... That is a weird start. How about that? How about that? It's very weird. I mean, how many runs did he give up? He didn't give up a single run. Weird. He seven guys. Weird start, bro. Really weird start. Um... You know, the Tigers are the other, like, that's the other thing that continues to percolate today, right? John Morosi has kind of been hammering home the connection between um, the Orioles and the Tigers this morning. And it's, it's, it's strange because it's feeling like what's happening with the Tigers is teams are really trying to wait until the final moment um, because the Tigers' asking price is so absurd. And... I can't pay as good as Eduardo Rodriguez has been this season. There has to be a limit. I said that I would be willing to do, you know, Ortiz and and plus something for a Snell hater package. But that's because I feel like I'm getting, you know, two superstars in one deal, even if they're both rentals. Would I do Ortiz for Eduardo Rodriguez? It's it's difficult because you know the like you know the prop the problem is is Ortiz ever going to play for you? I mean, most of us think he should be here instead of Mateo at the point at this moment. But you don't think Mateo should be playing every day, so why would Ortiz play every day? Right. I mean, yeah. Um, and are they actually going to do it? Are they trying to hold on desperately to keep Mateo there to be on the postseason roster to be that? The, eighth, you know, seventh, a, eighth, a, a late eight, late game pinch runner sure. type. Is that the and and I'm you know, a week ago when it, when the Philadelphia game happened, I said on Twitter and I wasn't here to do the show, but I said then you can't, you can't, you can't play twenty five on twenty six. That's what I said. I 
I, we all like Ryan Flaherty. He's such a good guy, right? And, like, he was so likable. But that first season with Ryan Flaherty, when they didn't know they were going to be good, it was unjustifiable. He was not helping enough. And obviously, his his high end was not significant. We We feel something towards Ryan Flaherty because he was such a likable guy. But the truth is, it was a wasted roster spot. The truth is, the Orioles were playing 25 on 26. It was unjustifiable that they continued to give a roster spot to Ryan Flaherty at a point where they were now trying to win. And then you add in the fact that he was never good enough to warrant it moving forward. Like, you didn't, losing Ryan Flaherty, you were losing a replacement level player. Which is difficult to say because of how much we like Ryan Flaherty, how, how, how deep our personal affection is for Ryan Flaherty, but from a sheer baseball standpoint, what I was saying in the moment has stood up. It was not worth it. And that's where I am with Jorge Mateo. To say, well, we want him on the postseason roster because he could be that late-inning pinch runner, requires you to keep playing 25 on 26 because he's not helping as a baseball player. And you're not good enough to continue playing 25 on 26. The other issues beyond the trade deadline, of course, the Colton Cowser thing is in clear focus. I got a call about it on the radio show on Sunday, and I said, look, I think they're going to wait this out until Hicks gets back. And we can all keep talking about the comparisons to the struggles that Gunnar Henderson has had and all of those things. But in a time where you don't really have a center fielder and you don't really have anyone else that you actually want playing in left field. Like, I get it, Adam Frazier can and, and play. And Austin Hayes can basically play both. I, yeah, I'm saying that, like, in the world where you say, well, Austin Hayes can play center field, but that requires Adam Frazier to be your left fielder. I, yeah. I don't was... really like that either. I don't like any of these scenarios. I am inclined to believe they want to ride this out with Colton Kowser at least until Aaron Hicks is back. I do think that at some point, even when we say, hey, look, Gunnar Henderson got off to a slow start too, I'm not saying Colton Kowser won't ever figure it out. But the point is that you're trying to win. And you can't experiment with guy who's not contributing, but you're hoping will work his way through it and be a good baseball player at some point while you're also trying to win the most important games of the season. That's something you can do in April. In April, you can get away with it because there's a long season ahead of you. Now, you don't have the same advantage of knowing that like, you got a whole season to figure it out. Now, the, the games are critical. So I do think the Colton Cowser thing is going to come into play at some point. I would give up. I, what, what Tim said at the end is really interesting to me. They could really use a starting pitcher. They don't need a starting pitcher. And he's not saying that in the context of they can win the World Series without it. He's saying that in the context of they have a nucleus and a core that's really good. And we've got to be willing to see both things. Both the opportunity that's in front of you and the opportunity behind that. And we've said it over and over and over again. This might not be the year. 
But it might be. <laughs> it might be. John Smoltz thinks they're good enough to win a World yeah. Series as is. I, I I think that's over the top. I think I got everybody all worked up into a lather yesterday. Um, but maybe. It, it's really hard to say it's not when you're the best right, you're the team best in the American, in the American League. League. He, that's where you are. Now, I get it. it. I agree with Jeremy. I think the Dodgers and Braves definitively are better baseball teams. Definitively. Like, unquestionably are better baseball teams. I'm inclined to still think that the Rangers and Astros are, on, at least on paper, better. But, hell, I think the Blue Jays on paper are better, and the Orioles have done nothing but to kick the Blue Jays' asses all season. They're 6-1 and one against the Blue Jays now this season. It makes no damn sense. I can't figure it out. And they might lose Boba Shet, which would, no, I mean, that that would be, be a blow. Right, that would be that would be hurtful. The Orioles just have to win one more game in order to clinch the uh, tiebreaker against the uh, Blue Jays. It's all so damn complicated. It's so easy for every time this comes up, all of us say the dumb thing. Like, I'm glad I don't have to be the one making the decision. Just, it's true. Like, it's, yes, I'm glad I don't have to be the one making the decision. But, you know, it is also kind of supposed to be our job to, like, talk about these things. And I don't know, man. I don't know. We'll continue to monitor it. I just really, God, I wish the deadline was, like, five minutes from now so we could just get on with it. Like, just talk about it in past it'll, tense instead of... It'll feel that way. Oh. It's going to be a long day. Yeah. Uh, by the way, so yesterday I was I was wrong. I apologize. I did not know that Stan, Ross, and Luke moved their Monday show to 620 uh, today. Yeah. And it makes a lot of sense, obviously. I should have known that. Yeah. yeah, 620 today is when they're going to do their weekly show so they can immediately react to whatever happens at the deadline. Of course... The deadline is six, but as we've seen in some years, like deals start to trickle in. Like deals are being made right at the deadline, like right at the wire, and so you sometimes need a few minutes to to get that figured out. And if teams are all waiting on the Tigers to drop the like, it feels like a game of chicken with the Tigers right now. Where like yeah. if the asking price is as high as everybody says it is, then teams are saying, "Look, you're going to deal those players." This is not like if you were talking to the Padres and the Padres said, you've got to pay us X price or we're not going to do it. Then you can understand that like they have another option. Their option is just hold on to the players and go for it. As Tim Kirkson talked about, mm-hmm. he thinks at this point they're off the table, and I understand that. They're, he's probably right, which stinks. It's such a huge bummer. God, it's Maybe bummer. it's Alex Lang then, the, the, the Tigers reliever. Maybe that's what they're talking I mean, Maybe. Um, just. But hey, that ain't Josh Hader, bro. No, it's not. It's not. I've always been in favor. Like I, I know Stan's a fan too. Of Stan, the fan is ah. a fan of uh, Carlos Hernandez in right. uh, Kansas City. Dude, the velocity is mm-hmm. nuts. The, the Orioles just build a bullpen of guys. Yeah, that all guys that can throw. Digits. Yeah, hundred, no doubt, man. Man, isn't that what you want? Yeah. Your relievers, <laughs> unless you got that, unless you have the one pitch that Andrew Miller had, right? Mm-hmm. Unless you have that. Why not build a, a bullpen of or the one pitch that like Britain had? Obviously, mm-hmm. Jesus Christ! Or Cano, April Cano. Yeah, I mean, I don't know what that was a unicorn, so I'm not really sure what to make of that. But um, you know, the, the, it seems like teams are going to wait out the Tigers until the closing moments of this thing and just say, "Dude, we know, we know you have to trade these players. Your price is going to have to come down. You can't hold on to these guys and just get nothing." So you can have a high price, but then the question becomes how many teams are still standing 
Like if the Orioles are saying, we're going to wait this out and try to let te- other teams get their pitching elsewhere and then come back to the Tigers at the final minute, how many teams really get to address their pitching? We know the Rangers addressed it. I, I got to think the Rangers are done. This, could I mean, you what imagine? do they have left? How many more <laughs> rotation spots could they possibly have? I mean, the, and what prospects do they have? <laughs> yeah, it's true, too. The The Blue Jays are going with a six-man rotation for a little while. Like, mm-hmm. There are teams that are... You assume after the that, that's that's another one uh, we brought up Savali on the show yesterday. Is yeah, it Savali, no. uh, how do you pronounce it? I, 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 I thought it was Savali. 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 Something I should know. I do minutes this for after a the show. Yeah, he was. Um, we had brought it up during the show yesterday, and then the Rays, the team that I did not expect, because it's the Rays. Like the Rays never are the buyers, but the Rays are the ones that go get it done. And you're like, boy, that would have been that would have been pleasant. But also, you assume it takes another team off the market, so. You would assume the Rays, if they did one, aren't doing more than one, right? Like, it's just very un-Rays-like. So you'd like to see more and more teams drop by the wayside and address their pitching to leave fewer teams in competition going into the final moments with the Tigers to try to add a pitcher. Or you go get Justin Verlander, and that's not the issue. Although... The Astros and the Dodgers, according to a couple of people, including John Morosi, are the other teams that are very much involved. It's going to be a day. Going to be a day. Uh, all right, thanks when again. Was, yeah, when was the last trade deadline that we had this, that we were just constantly... Well, I mean, the trade deadlines were interesting a couple of years going the other way for right, the Orioles. Yeah, sure. Like, there were a couple of interesting... The trade deadline actually did end up being an interesting day in, like, 2018. Um... But no, as far as whether the Orioles were going to add something, it's funny because like you remember them adding Gerardo Parra and yeah. just how inexcusable it was and how laughable it was they were doing that. And I mean, the Miller acquisition was the last one of like real significance for the Orioles of real. Let's go. Yeah, like major significance. Trying to think, they did add somebody in 2016. I can't even think of who it was, but it wasn't. It was a. It was a guy. And look, I get it. Miller was even a relief pitcher, so it's not like it was over an overwhelming addition. But it was notable. 2016 Orioles. Well, I'll tell you in one second. On. They traded Jonah Heim. They got Wade. They got Wade Miley. Oh, yes. In 2016, they got Wade Miley at the deadline. And yes, the next day, because that was when you still had the August 31st deadline, which is, you know, Tito Landrum is going to join us in a moment. Tito Landrum was an August 31st trade deadline acquisition. Yes, the next day they traded um, Jonah Heim, who turned out to be pretty good. Uh, And they got Steve Pierce, who was a helpful piece, and obviously a very helpful piece in Boston. Um, Interesting to think about how those deals worked out. But yes, their July 31st uh, edition that year was Wade Miley. And that was not nothing. Mm -hmm. Like, that was... And by the way, we thought actually highly of Ariel Miranda, the pitcher that they sent to Seattle in order to get Wade Miley. That was not nothing. It was a starting pitcher. It mattered. We just didn't know what to make of the The 2016 Orioles were such a difficult team to figure out. Like, they were so... It, it was so weird. And I, to, to figure out if they were ever, like, a legitimate team or just a team that... Like, I could never get a, a handle on the 2016 Orioles. Um. All right. They also added Drew Stubbs in 2016. I forgot about Drew Stubbs. Drew Stubbs. I forgot about that. Yeah, I mean, entirely. Like- All right. So, um, lot to do. 
still on the program today. As I mentioned, Tito Landrum is going to join us here in just a minute, and we will continue to monitor all of the rumors and uh, possibilities for the Orioles at the deadline. If you missed it yesterday, we've got a new partner here on GCR that we are super excited about. It is a thrill to welcome the Superbook as a partner of GCR, an official sponsor of Glenn Clark Radio. Um, it's Football's coming back, and now's the time to place your preseason bets with Superbook Sports. Superbook is the most trusted name in Vegas, and now you can use the promo code GLENNCLARK23, G-L-E-N-N-C-L-A-R-K-23, to score up to $250 with their first bet bonus. Win or lose, they'll match your first bet up to $250 when you use the promo card code GLENNCLARK23. Got it? It's all one word, no spaces, GLENNCLARK23. Don't miss out this football season. Win some money with Superbook Sports and the promo code GlennClark23. Visit Superbook.com for terms and conditions. And if you have a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER. We continue our celebration of the 1983 World Series 40th anniversary. They're back in town this weekend to celebrate here. Tito Landrum, one of the most unlikely heroes in Orioles history, joins us next. Glenn Clark Radio. Hey, Birdland! Experience one of Oriole Park at Camden Yards' best values with the completely redesigned Pepsi All-Inclusive Picnic Perch. With an updated brand and a fresh new look, enjoy exclusive club-level access with left-field club seating and an all-inclusive food and beverage menu, including hot dogs, pulled pork barbecue, assorted Pepsi drink products, and more. Take advantage of this great deal now. Tickets start at just $45. Buy your tickets at orioles.com slash picnicperch. Catch that festival feeling in Charm City. Everywhere you go, you'll find exciting entertainment, delicious eats, and endless summertime fun. Cheer on the O's at Camden Yards, pick crabs by the waterfront, beat the heat inside a world-class museum, and make memories that will last a lifetime. Go to Baltimore.org for more information and to plan your visit. I'm Michael Jan Grandy, president of AJ Michaels, your carrier energy expert for 44 years. Save money, energy, and make your home more comfortable and virus-free. Find us at AJMichaels.com. That's AJMichaels.com. Your summer destination is closer than you think at Live Casino in Hotel Maryland. With an expansive gaming floor and incredible dining options ready for you to explore, your adventure awaits. Dine at the new Coho Korean Barbecue House coming in July or on the patio at the Prime Rib. Enjoy the summertime breeze at Orchid Smoking Patio. Limited time packages starting at $229. What are you waiting for? Book now. At Arundel Mills, must be 21. Please play responsibly for help. Visit mdgamblinghelp.org or call one gambler. All electronic tolling is here to stay in Maryland, and DriveEasyMD.com helps you cruise a little easier. We're Maryland's tolling resource, home to EasyPass, pay-by-play, and video tolling. It's never been easier to pay your way. DriveEasyMD.com will keep you moving. The Orioles are off and running out to prove that last season wasn't a fluke, and they are one of the best teams in baseball. Hi, I'm Paul Valley, host of the Bat Around for Press Box. Tune in every Saturday from 10 a.m. to noon as Zach Goodman and I break down every Adley bomb, every Tony Tater, and every save from the mountain. Like a warm hug from Rutschman, the Bat Around has you covered with all things Orioles as we embark on what's sure to be a magical summer in Birdland. So tune in every Saturday for the best in Orioles coverage right here on the Bat Around. 
another exciting weekend of affordable family fun at Prince George's Stadium with the Bowie Bay Sox. One of the most special nights of the season on Friday the 4th, Navy Night. Come celebrate the newest plebe class. Back-to-back fireworks carry on to Saturday with our pregame touch-a-truck event. And it's the last of our big hitter bobbleheads, Colton Kowser on Sunday for the first 750 fans. Get your tickets now by calling 301-805-6000 or anytime online at BaySox.com. The Bowie Bay Sox, let us be your nine-inning vacation. Whether your focus is luxury and comfort, convenience and technologically advanced connectivity, or sporty performance and aggressive styling, we've got the perfect Highlander for you. Check out buyatoyota.com for deals on new Highlanders from your local Toyota dealer today. That first sip. That first bite. Mm. Start your day off right with a delicious breakfast at Royal Farms. Choose from a fantastic selection of fresh Royal Farms breakfast sandwiches and top it off with a rich hot cup of the freshest coffee in the world at royal farms breakfast is available day and night it's the freshest breakfast in the world real fresh real fast royal farms if you need more of glenn you can also hear him every sunday with rita on 105.7 the fan but also if you need more of glenn um what's wrong with you all right back in here on gcr as we continue along on a Tuesday edition of the program, a trade deadline day edition of the show. Again, 6 o'clock, of course, today is Major League Baseball's trade deadline, and we continue to monitor rumors and what may or may not happen. And as I mentioned earlier, after the deadline at 620, Stan the Fan Charles, Ross Grimsley, Luke Jackson will get together. Facebook.com slash Sports will be the way for you to check it out. Orioles will continue their series with the Blue Jays tonight. Kyle Bradish needs a bounce-back effort because, presumably, you're not going to have Felix Batista available to you tonight, although you will likely have Fujinami available, as he was not available last night. So it would be interesting to see. Of course, last week in Philadelphia, when they didn't have Felix Batista available, they turned to Yenier Cano in the ninth inning. Given what's gone on of late, I wonder if it wouldn't be Fujinami who would be the guy that they would build to if they get into a similar situation. Don't know. Just wonder if that wouldn't be the case. But, yeah, uh, Kyle Bradish faces a uh, returning Hyunjin Ryu and the Blue Jays this evening in the second game of that four-game set. Um, this was a response that came in. It, in response to something that Tim Kirkshen said today when he talked about what they have at what the Orioles have ahead of him. Um, Michael responded, and it's sort of something we've been talking about a lot. Michael, no, it's not Michael. Sorry, that was somebody else. It was Travis. Thank you. Travis said, "This would be an easier pill to swallow if they followed the Braves formula and locked up Adley Gunner, etc." O's fans know there is a window, and they don't want to miss out on year one of it. Now, if they said this is our core for the next decade, it's a different story completely understand. And it's what I just said, frankly. If the Orioles don't make a significant move today, there's going to be consternation within this fan base. That would change if the Orioles didn't make a significant move and then announced a long-term extension for Gunnar Henderson or Adley Rutschman. That consternation would go away. The point is, do something. Show us something about the next step. Appreciate all the steps that have been taken. 
There's been an awful lot of good. Now show us something that points us to the next step in the process. Anything at all. Show us what's coming. The fear that Travis points out is the fear of this might not really be a five-year window. I had a caller on the radio show the other day point out that if ultimately you're not going to sign these players long-term, then you're going to want to trade them when they have more significant value. So the window isn't necessarily five years with those guys. The window is more like three years. So I get the point. If the window is only going to be three years, you got to take advantage of it now. Now, I'd like to hope that's not the case, and I'd like to hope they're going to sign some of these guys. But the point is, show us something. Show us something that is a sign for what's to come. A trade, an extension, anything at all. And I get what someone like Travis and what many of you are feeling. This man, once upon a time, was a trade deadline acquisition in August 31st trade deadline acquisition of the Baltimore Orioles. And he had just a brief stint with the Orioles at that point. He would end up coming back years later. It was pretty impactful in hindsight. We are celebrating the 40th anniversary of the Orioles winning the 1983 World Series. They're going to be back in town this weekend celebrating. It's going to be a special night at the ballpark on Saturday night. And joining us now here on GCR, one of the more unlikely heroes in Orioles history, he is the great Tito Landrum, and he is with us now on the program. Tito, it's Glenn in Baltimore. It's so good to catch up, man. Thank you so much for taking a couple of minutes for us this morning. My, my pleasure. My pleasure, and you said it right, unlikely. <laughs> the bad boy probably could have been told that he was going to hit a home run before me. Ah, you know, it's funny. I, I, did not, I was not familiar with the story of the phone call that your mother uh, had with you the night before. Can you, for people that don't know the story, can you share it with them? Well, mom's a very religious woman, and she would pray for me constantly. And that night before the game, she said, I'm going to pray that you hit a home run. I said, Mom, I'm not a home run hitter. Just pray that I have a good game and get a few hits. And that was about it. <laughs> what is that moment like, T? Like, I, I, I am sure that you have talked about it uh, a million times in your life since then, but... You know, there's not everybody that gets to be this type of hero in such a big game. In in the moment, what does it feel like to hit a home run like that? Are are you able to have the context and understanding of the significance of it, or is it just the next play in a baseball game? Well, certainly not being a home run hitter, it's not expected of me. And as I said, you know, Ralph Rowe was the hitting instructor, and I sat beside him and I said, Ralph, I'm doing something. Can you help me? And he said, you're a gap hitter. Hit between left center and right center. It looks like you're trying to do a little bit too much. And so I went up there with that frame of mind. And, I mean, there were just so many things that went right. You said it right. The deadline, I get traded. You think about this. You got Brother Lowe, Gary Renneke, mm-hmm. Bumbry, Shelby, Disco Dan, Kim Dwyer, Vinny Ayala, and Ken Singleton as your outfield. Where did they need another outfield? Matter of fact, Glenn Gulliver, I believe, was also uh, thought to be brought into that because he was a great hitter also. And so Disco gets hurt at the end of the year. I get to jump in and play a part in the, in the, in the uh, series. 
And it's just a dream come true. I mean, every kid wants to hit a home run at, at a point like that in their life. And uh, being unexpected, it was just a great moment for me. I think I uh, actually floated around the bases and didn't touch a single one. <laughs> never touched the ground. Never yeah, I never did. touch the ground at all. Tito, take me back to that. Like, go, Take me back to August 31st. And... You find out you're going to Baltimore, and of course, you know, like you, you had been in St. Louis for so long, and you're from there. Right. And yeah. then, as you said, you you see that like there's not a lot of opportunity in Baltimore, as good as they are. What were exactly. your emotions like that day? Well, well, first of all, it started out. It's like wow, the Cardinals no longer want me. And you said I had come up through the organization and been in the minor leagues for what six and a half, seven years. I finally get to the major leagues, and then all of a sudden, you know, you're not wanted. But uh, George Hendricks said something very interesting. He was like E.F. Hutton. When he spoke, everybody listened. And he said, you know what? Think of it like this. It's not that the Cardinals don't want you. It's that the Orioles do want you. So that changed my frame of mind, and I went over there with a positive attitude. Um, look, it worked out okay. It worked out okay. decent. It, it, yeah. It's a Hollywood story if you really look at it. It's incredible. <laughs> it's one of my favorite stories in Orioles history, Tito. Well, what, thank you. What did that time frame, again, it, it's such a short amount of time that we're talking about, right? Like you were here for two months. Um, but what did it mean to you in your in your career, in your life, to have been such a phenomenon in, in these moments and such a critical part of being a World Series winner? Well, you know, it bolsters your confidence. You know, you have confidence as a major league ball player, but, you know, every once in a while you get down on yourself and you say, wow, am I really going to belong here? I'm the fourth outfielder. I don't play every day. I get to come in against some of the best pitchers, left-handers in the National League. I come to the American League, and I don't know much about the pitching. I've got to learn some of the things that are being thrown at me from my teammates. So it's it's one of those things that it's a, it's a quick study. You have to be ready. And with that, I, I learned a few things. And with the guys in Baltimore, it was a, just a great experience. You know, they came up through the minor leagues, it seems, with the, uh, the other teammates. So they were a family. And here I am going to be introduced to a new family. And I was accepted on the very first day. So that made it even more comfortable. And now I just kind of slide in and I'm one of the guys. He is the great Tito Landrum. He's with us here on GCR. We're celebrating the 40th anniversary of the Orioles winning the 1983 World Series. Um, Tito, what what did you when you got here? What what did you learn about the team that made you understand why it is that they were so? One of the things we talked about with the guys for, all throughout the summer is the two separate seven game losing streaks that season, right? And it didn't right. it didn't phase them at all. What did you learn about how they had become such a special group? And how were you able to fit in and find your place on the team and assimilate so quickly just to make sure you were on the postseason roster? Well, you start with a guy like Cal Ripken and Eddie Murray. Yeah, they're not. <laughs> they weren't bad. Yeah, you know there's confidence there. And when those guys spoke, again, it was one of those voices that just resonated around you. There was no quit. And even after we lost the first game, it was like, you know what? We can do this. And we go up two games. We certainly didn't want to face Hoyt again, but it was like, we don't have to face, face him because we're going to win today. And that was just the attitude throughout my entire time. And like I said, I was, I was introduced to this team and felt like a teammate the very first day. So that was just one of those things that I don't think happens very often. It's remarkable, right? It's a really cool thing that happened. What, yes, sir. Uh, uh, the, the pressure of that game, the, you know, you hit the home run. But the Orioles, right. like the players that I've talked to, have talked a lot about how like they still felt the demons of what happened in '79 throughout the course of that postseason. 
you weren't mm-hmm. part of that team. But did you feel any of that like pressure that those guys are feeling? Like we can't waste this opportunity again after what they had been through just four years earlier. Again, if they felt the pressure, they certainly didn't show it. Wow. It was more of what is in the present, what we can do today, not what we did, you know, years ago. So no, I didn't, I didn't see or feel any of that pressure. That's, I, I mean, look, it makes it easier, I guess, at that point. Tito, Definitely. what did you keep from that night? What did you keep? What do you still have from that moment? And and maybe even from the World Series, but. What did you did did you in in that moment think like I better see about making sure that I keep this bat and don't use it like Do you have anything <laughs> still to this day from that moment, which was clearly such a magical moment in your in your career? Yeah, no, um, it's so funny. I gave away a lot of the things, thinking you know other people wanted a part of that, and so I gave a lot of it away. But I'm going to tell you this, and this is a true story. When I touched home plate and high-fived Eddie Murray. I got a bone bruise from his high-five, so I took that away for quite a few days after that. <laughs> That's awesome, by the way. That's probably, it's got to be the most worth it a bone bruise has ever been in your life, though, right? Without a doubt. Without a doubt. What, um, how, how has the context, I mean, like, you had more opportunities in your career, right? Like, you, you accomplished other right. things. But 40 years later, how has the context of this changed? Like, how has your appreciation for it changed, what it's meant to you? When you think back on it now at a different place in your life, how has it changed over the years? Well, I I, I have to go back to the first part of the story. When you talk about what the Orioles had, they didn't need an outfielder. Let's be very honest. They didn't need another outfielder at that particular time. And unfortunately, Dan Ford gets hurt and gives me the opportunity. And as I said, Glenn Gulliver, you put Glenn Gulliver's stats against mine, I'm picking Glenn Gulliver every time. Come on. Mm. He's a left-handed hitter, too, makes great contact, does all the things that the Orioles had wanted to do. He's part of that organization. So, as I said, it's it's almost like it was a dream come true for me, which helped me later on when I went to the Cardinals and played in the World Series, too. So it was just an extens- extension after that of being more confident, having been in that situation, and knowing what I could do given that opportunity, you, um, you know, I guess you have the advantage because I'm gonna, I'm gonna assume that when you like hand somebody a credit card, it says Terry and not Tito. But <laughs> do you, how, how much have you over the years, like when you've been somewhere, bumped into an Orioles fan, bumped into somebody who was like, oh my God, is that, you know, how much has that happened over these last forty years for you? Are you the brother of Tito Landrum, they would say. <laughs> Terry Landrum. I, I know a Landrum that played baseball. Are you his brother? So, yeah. You know, my given name, of course, is Terry. And I took that name uh, when baseball was over. I went back to Terry and went to, went to college and everything. And then college, it was kind of interesting because some of the guys that we played uh, baseball with, of course, knew uh, some of my history. Um, not many people at the school other than that knew my history. But, you know, it's just been a quiet little life here in Calabasas. Every once in a while, I'll run into a guy that has an Orioles hat on and everything, and I'll say, how's the team doing? And they'll say something, and they'll recall the last time, you know, that we played great, and they'll, uh, I'll mention, yeah, I, I played with them. <laughs> I've had a guy stop me on the golf course, which is really unusual. I'm on a different um, fairway, and he walks over and says, Tito, how are you doing? 
And that blew me away. That's so cool. every once in a while, I get surprised. What What is that meant to you? Like the, the, the place that you have in Orioles history, right? Like what is that meant to you that you have been you're, – you're, you're a folk hero here, right? Like you're someone who is those – despite it being such a short period of time in your life, but you're so thought of and so beloved in, in within this fan base. What is that meant to you? Wow, I, I didn't really realize that. Um, I, I'm removed from Baltimore quite a bit, so that's uh, quite heartening to hear. Um, you know, I've got grandchildren, and uh, it's wonderful sometimes when they uh, come across something on the Internet that um, reminds them uh, what I've done. That's and neat. so we talked about it a little. Um, my ex-son-in-law is Paul Pierce, so he's the big wow. chief when you talk about, when yeah. you talk about uh, family members. Yeah. So, uh, I'm just in the mix. Uh, it's it's nice. Every once in a while, I do sit down. I think, wow, I, I've just been. It's been a fairy tale for me. I didn't play high school baseball, so I mean, if you start putting all this, all these things together, it's 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 overwhelming at times. I we actually, it's five. Tito, I don't know if I've told you. Like five years ago, when it was uh, the last anniversary, I ended up doing an entire themed story based on like who are the most unlikely heroes in Baltimore That's sports me. history. But, and you, yes, of course, were at the top of the list. <laughs> Um, of course, Je- yes, Jeff Rebelay hitting a home run off Randy Johnson in the playoffs was pretty high up there too because like I think Jeff uh-huh. Rebelay hit six home runs in his career. Um, but that's that, one more than me. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> right. There you go. Um, I just got this message from our friend uh, John, who said one of our our favorite listeners, who said uh, I was a young buck at BWI with thousands to welcome home the team after Tito's home run. Oh well. Wow. That scene. Yep. What do you remember about that? It's... Crazy, crazy, crazy. I mean, you hear, you see rock stars going through this, these crowds and everything. It's exactly like that. People touching you, shouting your name, um, waving to you. It was just that definitely is a memory I, I will hold forever. That that's, that was cool. That's so cool. Uh, I've I've heard you're going to be back this weekend, correct? You're going to be part of this. I'm look, looking forward to it. You know what though? I actually was just inducted into the high school. Um, Sports Hall of Fame on the very same day, so I had to call them and say I couldn't come. So oh. definitely, I'm making oh. it to Baltimore. Oh, well, that's so. I'm, I'm sorry that you aren't going to be able to be there for that because that's incredibly special. Um, yeah, but, it is. Uh, what is this? What does this mean to you? Getting back together, like so many of the guys are going to be there. What does this mean to you to have this opportunity this weekend? And on top of it, for the Orioles to be good. For there to be, yeah. you know, this celebration of baseball that's going on in the city right now, how much more meaningful does it make it? Well, first of all, let's wish wish these these Orioles uh, the same kind of outcome that we had forty years ago. That would be wonderful, wouldn't oh, it? it? Would be so awesome. Um, seeing the guys is just going to be a pleasure because you know you want to know what they're doing, how they're doing. You know, remember some of their 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 children and how they're doing, and some of us have passed away, of course, and that's a sad note. So I'm. It's it's going to be a, a wonderful time to reminisce. I'm sure the stories will get bigger and uh, <laughs> they'll get more, uh, uh, as, as I shouldn't say, more lies put in there. But there'll be things that'll be said that'll be elevated yeah. to new heights. But it'll be enjoyable. I'm looking forward to it. My wife's coming. She hasn't been to one of these things like this. So it's going to be nice to introduce her to all the players as well. That's wonderful. Oh, it's going to be such a great weekend. I, I can't wait. Tito Landrum, um, it is so great to catch up with you, sir. And, and it's it's going to be a special weekend here in Baltimore. I'll be there Saturday night and uh, can't wait to see everybody and let this current yeah. Orioles fan base celebrate with you guys. Uh, you are a very special part of Orioles history, my friend. And your name Thanks. elicits 
when, when I'm out, you know, with guys and your name comes up, it's there is a warm, fuzzy feeling that, that comes around thinking about um, what you did. And I'm so glad that it means so much to you as well. Thank you for spending a few minutes with us this morning. Thank you for taking your time also. I look forward to meeting you. Look forward to it. Tito Landrum, um, again, the, you know, when we say unlikely, it's, it's, I don't mean it to be disrespectful. It's that everything that he said, you feel all of it. Tito Landrum was the eighth outfielder. You know, as he said, well, the Orioles don't need me. What are we doing here? He he had 13 home runs in his career. In his career, he hit 13 home runs. Just happened to be the guy that hit the home run that won the ALCS. Go figure. Go figure. And it's it stands. I wish I could pull up the entire list. I, maybe I can find it. Oh, the uh, list that you made it. I did it for the 15th. If, so every year, every time we put out a print issue of Press Box, and I guess that's an opportunity for me to say that print issue of Press Box is still available, but only for a couple more weeks. And I am aware that it is already gone in a few locations, and there will not be more coming. This has been a very popular issue of Press Box. Uh, unbelievable story from Dave Ginsburg on the cover, celebrating the life and legacy of the great Tony Siragusa, who passed away a year ago, and how his family is continuing his legacy. It's a very special story. You can go get it uh, for free if it's still available at your neighborhood Royal Farms and those hundreds of locations around town where you find Pressbox. You can read it all at PressBoxOnline.com. And in every print issue of Pressbox, on uh, page 15, go figure, we do what's called the 15, and it's just a fun kind of list. In this issue, we did, I did 15 uh, best Tony Saragusa quotes, right? Because we were doing a Tony Saragusa theme, and so it felt like a, a neat thing to do, and I put in some of my favorite things that Tony Saragusa had ever said, some stories, a couple things that were said about him. We think about Tony Saragusa as a man who said a lot of really funny things over the years, so it felt like a good thing to do. So I, I it must have been in 2018 so now let me see if I can pull up that print issue of press box it must have been in 2018 that when I was thinking about the 35th anniversary of the Orioles winning the 1983 World Series I was reminded of the great Tito Landrum and how unlikely of a hero he was and so I said I'm going to look back on the most unlikely that's exactly when it was October of 2018 I have it right here in front of me what do you know? What do you know? Now, how do I zoom in? All right. Most unlikely heroes in Baltimore sports history. Some of the names on the list. Ah, of course, Robert Andino is mm. on the list. Now, it pales in comparison because it was a meaningless regular season baseball game. I know that Orioles uh, fans. It was very meaningful. No, it was not. <laughs> it meant a lot. No, it did not. Not the case whatsoever. Um,. Now, we've kind of blended it in to the Orioles getting good after that, and like we've tried to make it seem like the, the curse of the Andino was the moment that turned. <laughs> it's nonsense. It was, yeah. Nonsense. Ah, yes, the, uh, the great um, uh, Mike Grinnan hitting the free throws in the ACC championship game against Duke in um, 2004, who Mike Grinnan was a freshman on the national championship team who didn't play and continued to not play <laughs> for four years in his career. And then, by, by the way, one of the best guys ever. I love me some Mike Grinnan. Um, 
And then four years later, three years later, after the championship team, he's the only guy left on the roster from the national championship team by the time Maryland's playing for the ACC title for the first time in 20 years. The last champion, the last conference championship game they've been in nearly 20 years ago. Maybe that pattern continues. Maybe that would mean that next next spring they'd be playing for a, a Big Ten championship. That'd be favor. Good. Yeah. Let's, let's make that happen. But Mike Grinnan in overtime against Duke, um, sinking two free throws with the ACC title on the line. Very much an unlikely hero. Uh, Corey Graham from the game against oh. Denver in the playoffs. Corey Graham was a nice player. Like he certainly would say, probably had. I mean, he probably had a better career than Tito. I don't know. That's a good. He might be right around the Tito Landrum level, right? Corey like Graham. Corey Graham had a decent career, but Corey Graham many, was never a. How many seasons did he play? Uh, Let's see. He was 2007 draft pick. So uh, he was active until 2018. Yeah, I mean, Corey Graham had a nice career. I mean, it's Tito Landrum's total career was about a decade, right? Like in that neighborhood. Um, but Corey Graham was a guy, right? Like he was a starter. He was a, a a solid football player, but no one saw Corey Graham being the guy. That, as much as look, as much as we look back on the Denver game, and it, the story is Jacoby, Jacoby Jones, Jones, and I I put him on the list, although it's. In hindsight, maybe Jacoby Jones was too accomplished to have made right. this list. Um, what we've forgotten is that Corey Graham won that game. Like, Corey Graham is the reason why the Ravens had the opportunity to win that game. Two interceptions. I mean, Corey Graham was the story. It's just that it's entirely forgotten because of one of the most miraculous plays in football history. Uh, I put uh, Joe Saunders on that list, who, of course, started the one-game playoff in Texas in 2012. And you're like, Joe Saunders? Joe Saunders. Joe Saunders? He was 9-13 and with a 4.07 ERA that season. Started uh, a one-game playoff and delivered the Orioles uh, their first postseason win in 15 years. No one saw that coming. No one. We knew it was coming. Sure. Joe Saunders knew. Delman Young obviously yeah. made the list. That's you know, an un- like as much as Delman Young's become part of it, it's Just, it's funny because now when somebody has a moment like that, you think about them differently for the rest of their life. When you think about Delman Young, you think about that moment. Mm-hmm. But before that moment, Delman Young was Wilson Betamy. Delman Young was a guy, at most a guy. Now he had had a better career in other places, but in Baltimore he was just. Another bat that they had acquired at one point, yeah. and then instead he lived in, uh, you know. In, yeah, he he made me quit football. Delman Young did because he made you quit because in order to go to the game he, that day, you no, yeah, I decided I was like, oh well, I play freshman football. I was like, I have to go to football practice, and then I missed the game, and uh, that's pretty funny. Yeah, that's and I was funny. like, all right, well, never again. So I I I remember skipping practice to go to game one of the right. ALCS the next week. It's pretty funny, and then I was like, yeah, this is, I'm not not missing this ever again. Um. So. Yeah, that there's others on the list. Some uh, Maryland players that are on the mm-hmm. list, um, like uh, Mike Martisich, who was this reserve center that was like again a folk hero type, like because he was this lanky white guy. And then, and when they were Maryland was playing uh, then number one North Carolina, he had to go in and play key minutes because somebody fouled out, and uh, he ended up scoring twelve points and pulled down nine rebounds to beat the number one team in the country, like. 
Sure. Yeah. Mike Mar Iron Mike Martisich, we called him. It was really great. So there's some other guys on that list, but it was a fun list to put together. Uh, one of the 15s that required a good amount of work for me to mm. dive through. Tom Maddy when he had to play quarterback uh, as an emergency when uh, both John Unitas and J Gary Cozzo. Uh, Gary, what name did I just say there? I just made up Cuzzo. a name. No. Uh, both got hurt. Um, so those are some of the guys that were on the list, but it was inspired by the most unlikely hero in Baltimore sports history, which unquestionably is Tito Landrum. And I don't think there's anybody in the last... Is there anybody in the last five years that would be added to that list? Um, I mean, like, because I'm trying to think if, of, if, like... If, what, the, if like, the Ravens the, had won the, the game yeah. in the, against the, the Bengals in the playoffs last year, maybe Tyler Huntley <laughs> would have made the list, but instead, unfortunately, we all know <laughs> what happened. And so we're very much well, not on that list. Right, because I'm trying to think of, like, who would be on that list from, like, the, or, or, like, who would be the Tito Landrum of the current Orioles? To, who would have Oh, to, who would be the guy, if they were on the team? McKenna. Like, McKenna yeah. would be the answer. Like, if, if Ryan McKenna was on the I'm, playoff roster. I'm thinking of, like, Kyle Stowers' home run and against the White Sox Well, I mean, that was year. neat, but like, it was, was, it was I mean, a totally nondescript, you know, right. regular like, season Kyle Stowers it was a neat. Up. It was a neat moment because we were watching the game. But it, it, it wasn't relevant in any way, right? Now, it's also – I think I included um, Cliff Tucker was on the list. Remember, he was the one that hit the buzzer beater when Maryland – like buzzer beaters in basketball only happen yeah. so often, so that you, you tend to remember all of them. And the Cliff Tucker one was very memorable, Cliff Tucker against Georgia Tech, because if you'll remember, immediately before that, they had – Inbound the ball. Georgia Tech goes ahead. Maryland inbounds the ball. And Gravis Vasquez throws up a prayer from half court, and it goes in. And the, I was there that day. It was the most pandemonium I've ever seen. None of us knew that, that Gary Williams had called a timeout. And so like, it's one of the more memorable like things I've ever seen in a basketball game. Because it went from panic that Georgia Tech had gone ahead oh, my God, Maryland's going to lose at home. And this was in the Gravis Vasquez years when there was serious expectations mm -hmm. for Maryland. Um, Maryland's going to lose at home to Georgia Tech. What the F? It went from that. That might have been a Derek Favors Georgia Tech team. It might have been, in hindsight, a, a decent Georgia Tech team. I'm not sure. Um, Maryland's going to lose at home to Georgia Tech to the most unbelievable moment that we had ever seen in Maryland basketball history to no, settle down, it didn't count, and you're right back to assuming that Maryland's going to lose because there's something like 0.7 seconds on the clock. And now you can't get the ball to Gravis Vasquez because Georgia Tech's going to completely deny on the inbounds pass any ability to get the ball to Gravis Vasquez. And so you've got to go to Cliff Tucker, who I think maybe sadly passed away. He did, yes. Yeah. Yeah, um, you've got to go to Cliff Tucker. And wouldn't you know, of, of all of the random players to ever – sparingly used I'm going to guess his career high points per game was 5.8 something like that maybe he had a season where he was more closer to 8 points per game he definitely never averaged double digit points per game there's no yeah, his senior year so the next year he averaged 9 points a game I'm surprised it was that high mm -hmm. I'm honestly I'm surprised it was ever that high I'm going to guess there was some stat that season games. he averaged 5 points yeah, that season that, that he hit season where he hits he's 5 points per game but they're denying Gravis Vasquez. I'm assuming that it was Eric Hayes that was inbounding the ball. Mm -hmm. And so there's the only guy that you can go to is Cliff Tucker. And we go from Maryland's going to lose to the most ridiculous moment I've ever seen in my entire life to Maryland's going to lose to, oh, my God, Cliff Tucker in the span of 
what, five seconds. It was the most ridiculous range of emotions I've ever felt at a basketball game in my life. I mean, it was just insanity. So, yeah, Cliff Tucker made my list. Right, it was it was a Derek Favors tech team. But it was Derek Favors. Iman so, Shumpert as well. Oh, Shumpert was on that team too. Yeah. yeah. So, in hindsight, it's, it wasn't as bad. Like, mm-hmm. it, I remember in the moment thinking it would have been a bad loss, but that was because there were high expectations for that Maryland team. And losing at home to Georgia Tech would have been bad. Would have been bad. Um, so, yeah, it, it was a fun, a fun list to do. It was a fun sort of reflection to have. Um, the Tito Landrum inspired. Yes. Tito Landrum inspired, most unlikely. But Tito Landrum, number one with a yeah. bullet. I mean, with a bullet, number one. I just realized that... Oh, I did put Jeff Rebelay on that list. Okay, yeah. Jeff Rebelay hitting a home run off of... I was friendly with Jeff Rebelay for a number of years. Jeff Rebelay hitting a home run off of Randy Johnson in the playoffs. I would love to have known if anybody ever did like a mathematical... What is the likelihood of that occurring type of scenario because it seems like there's no way it could be more than 0.1%. Jeff Rabelais in the division series hitting a home run. It's one of the most absurd memories I ever have in baseball in 1997. Randy Johnson. Randy Johnson. How many home runs did Jeff Rabelais hit in his career? In his career? Because Tito Landrum at 13, so I would be interesting to know because Rabelais did not hit many home runs. Let's see. I would like to know what the number was. His career 20. All right. All right. So he did outdo Tito Landrum. (laughs) He did have a couple more, but not many. 20 home runs in his career. He did play two more seasons than than, uh, And how how many? uh, Rebele played what? 11 seasons? Yeah, he played 92 to 2003. Yeah. Not much during 2003, but yeah. But that, that technically, I guess, is 12 seasons, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, 12, yeah. Se- 12 seasons, 20 home runs. He hit a playoff home run against Randy Johnson. Never, never in your life will you be able to understand that. But that's that's what we're talking about with Unlikely. All right, that was fun. I love uh, reliving moments like that. And that was why it was a fun third. Sometimes when I do the 15, it's fun for me. I'm like, this is fun to go back and relive these moments. Because then you get to watch them again on YouTube. Yeah. And, like, relive what it was like to experience it. And you're like, that's cool. That is cool. Be a fun weekend. All right. Uh, thank you again to Tito Landrum for joining us. Still a lot to do. We're going to go back over and uh, sort of recap some of the more uh, recent um, rumors that have come floating in regarding today's trade deadline. We'll go over some of those next as we continue along a Tuesday edition of Glenn Clark Radio. Hike to new heights. The best view is yours in Washington County. Our iconic scenic overlooks provide some of the most breathtaking vistas in the Mid-Atlantic. Some are very easy walks, some can be driven to, and some are the payoff for a moderate to difficult hike. All are near quaint small towns that offer great dining, shopping, hiking gear, and more. Explore our five national parks for iconic vistas and wineries with breathtaking views. Visit our quaint historic towns and make your stay unforgettable. Learn more at visithagerstown.com Maryland, be open. Hey O's fans, on Saturday, August 5th when the O's take on the New York Mets at 7.05 celebrate the 40th anniversary of the 1983 World Series by being one of the first 20,000 fans 15 and over to receive an Eddie Murray 1983 World Series bobblehead presented by Royal Farms. Come out to honor this World Series championship team and arrive early for Early Bird Saturdays when gates open two hours early with happy hour live music and more. Get your tickets today at orioles.com slash tickets. 
Soak up summertime fun in Charm City. Enjoy only in Baltimore festivals, mouth-watering eats, and endless entertainment. Cheer on the O's at Camden Yards. Pick crabs by the waterfront. Beat the heat inside a world-class museum and make memories that will last a lifetime. Go to Baltimore.org for more information and to plan your visit. Maryland drivers, did you know you can save up to 77% on tolls with an Easy Pass Maryland discount plan? That's right, 77%. It's never been easier. Pick the plan that's right for you at driveezmd.com. We'll keep you moving. It's a Maryland thing you wouldn't understand. Where the waves meet the shore, you will find Dorchester County. Hi, this is Jimmy Charles. When I think of Maryland, I think Dorchester County on the eastern shore where it's open for making memories. Dorchester County, it's a Maryland thing. For more info, visit www.visitdorchester.org. It's a Maryland Your summer destination is closer than you think at Live Casino and Hotel Maryland. With an expansive gaming floor and incredible dining options ready for you to explore, your adventure awaits. Dine at the new Coho Korean Barbecue House coming in July or on the patio at the Prime Rib. Enjoy the summertime breeze at Orchid Smoking Patio. Limited time packages starting at $229. What are you waiting for? Book now. At Arundel Mills, must be 21. Please play responsibly for help. Visit mdgamblinghelp.org or call one Gambler. Picking a restaurant to try for the first time? Let's look at the Costas Inn. Here's a few checklist items. Quality of the food? Check. Quality of service? Check. Does restaurant have plenty of free parking? Check. And finally, does restaurant have delicious steamed crabs, crab cakes, crab soup, and specials galore? Check, check, check. Costas Inn, 4100 North Point Boulevard. They check all the boxes. Make the most out of every day in your Toyota RAV4. Available in hybrid or gas-only models. A RAV4 can get you where you want to go in style. Check out buyatoyota.com for deals on new RAV4s from your local Toyota dealer today. Check out PressBoxOnline.com every day to find daily winners and betting advice from Jeremy Kahn. And if you want some advice about life decisions that you probably shouldn't make, here's Glenn Clark. All right, back in here on GCR. Was that our second or our third break? I've already lost that. That was the second break. Thank you. I yes, appreciate I- that. Um, I want to respond to something really quickly. I, I meant to do this earlier, and I had this on my list of things, and I'm glad somebody shared it on Twitter. Scott Pioli wrote something for NFL.com, which is one odd because I didn't know that Scott Pioli was now a writer. I didn't know that was a thing, so I, that's, that's neat that, that um, that's the case. Scott Pioli wrote something for NFL.com. It says, former Ravens general manager Ozzie Newsom should be first person inducted into Pro Football Hall of Fame twice. So, you know, this weekend is the Pro Football Hall of Fame induction ceremony. Right? Is that right or is it next week? Is it this weekend? Because it feels yeah, yeah. early. Wait, it feels no. early for the game, right? Yeah, like, yeah. Because uh, is there a game this weekend? Yeah, the game, the Hall of Fame game is. God, Thursday. are we really at that point? Yeah, it's football season. It's not. Stop that. That's nonsense. <laughs> Stop saying it. I do. There was a time in my life, like I was, I was who you are once upon a time. Like I remember getting together with like friends, gathering to watch the Hall of Fame game because we were just so excited that football was back. Um, the, obviously, zero chance that I will be doing anything like that today. Uh, but there was a time in my life where I would do that. So yeah, the Hall of Fame uh, ceremonies are this weekend, and so everybody's um, talking about the Hall of Fame. And Scott Pioli writes this entire story. And it gets Ravens fans, you know, amen, brother, high five, yeah, yeah, yeah. It gets a lot of that. And it's all well and good. And I understand the point, and uh, I, 
I certainly have an amount of agreement on the point. It's just that it's also kind of nonsense. And I'm not trying to be disrespectful to Scott Pioli, who certainly is a far more intelligent football mind than I am. But there is no... Once you go into the Pro Football Hall of Fame, they don't put you in as something. It's not like there's one wing for players and one wing for contributors. Once you're in the Pro Football Hall of Fame, you're in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. All of the busts are in one room together. So whether you were Ray Lewis or whether you were Steve Sable, who was just the NFL Films guy, there's no separating. So to say that Ozzie Newsom deserves to go in as a player and as a contributor, my phone is very popular today. Yes. Everybody's trying to get in yeah. touch with old GC. You're back today. on air. They wanna... I don't know what that's all about. Um, there's there's no separation. It's not like there's one room where Ozzie Newsom is celebrated as a player and another room where the greatest general managers of all times are celebrated, and so Ozzie Newsom should also be in that room. The more it, like impactful way of saying it were to be like they should update his Hall of Fame bio to also reflect what he did as a general manager. But it's almost kind of ludicrous to suggest going in twice. Now, somebody might compare it to, like in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, Paul McCartney is in as a Beatle and in as a solo act. I, I don't I don't know what the significance of that is, but sure, the Pro Football Hall of Fame... I, I don't I just don't know what the point would be. We've all felt something like that over the years. Or we've all said something like, you know, if he wasn't already a Hall of Famer, he could go in as a Hall of Fame GM. And like that's true. And I understand that you're trying to to say something to reflect the incredible nature of Ozzie Newsom's tenure as an executive in the NFL, and it's remarkable. But there's no reason to do a second induction because there's nothing that Ozzie Newsom is left out of. Ozzie Newsom is a Hall of Fame football player who also happened to be a Hall of Fame caliber general manager. Nobody would debate that. But there's there's no reason to do a second induction. There's nothing that Ozzie Newsom isn't a part of already related to the Hall of Fame. There is no... I would agree if they somehow differentiated between Hall of Fame players and contributors. If, like, one realm of the Hall of Fame was for the players and another level, if, like, you went and visited in Canton and on floor two they recognized the players and on floor three they recognized, you know, coaches and contributors and things like that, then I would listen to the argument. I would listen and say, yeah, you know, maybe you should induct Ozzie Newsom again so that he can be, you know, listed with the great... But they don't do that. That's not a thing. That's only something we do when we go over the list and say, here's who the Hall of Fame contributors were. They don't do that there. So I I appreciate the sentiment. I, I, I certainly think it's worthy of, when we talk about Ozzie Newsome, recognizing how incredible his accomplishments were beyond just what he did as a player. He's certainly trailblazer, very much high on the list, all of those things. But with 
with due respect, with due respect, there is zero reason to induct someone in the Pro Football Hall of Fame twice. It's almost kind of silly. But I appreciate what Scott Pioli's attempting to say about the significance of Ozzie Newsom. It's just not, there's no real relevance to it and in trying to have a second induction for it. Uh, this question came in from uh, Joe. Joe said, Glenn, when you guys were doing your midseason reflections, you talked about uh, Cedric Mullins and completing the cycle as being the moment of the year. Was that replaced by Austin Hayes' catch last night? <laughs> um, no. No. I mean, one, I, like if you want to say Austin Hayes, did Austin Hayes' catch become the best defensive play of the year for the Orioles? I mean, it's hard to it's hard to put it into context because I'm measuring it against Cedric Mullins' catch against Minnesota. To me, like that's that was the leader in the clubhouse for defensive play of the year from the Orioles this season was the catch against Byron Buxton, which, as I've said before, it's a that's a three run homer. That's a three run play. That instead was a zero run inning. What would have happened last night? If that ball gets down. Colton Kowser was still in the area, so would it have gotten to the wall? Probably not. I don't Yeah, it's like it definitely would have scored the first run, for sure, obviously, right? Like that's that's obvious. The first runner scores. Does it definitely tie the game? Probably not. I've watched it's, it a few times. Yeah. By the way, I don't I don't I'm not trying to be that guy inexcusable that the app wasn't working last night. Ooh. And and it's a step beyond that. If the app isn't working, then Major League Baseball, the Orioles, Masson, everyone needs to get together and figure out what they're going to do. I I, I try to say this in a nice way and not trying to be like, because I get it. This is still new-ish technology that we're talking about. I know that the Masson app has had so many problems that you know, it's kind of not funny, but it Masson worked. If you had cable, Masson worked. If you don't have cable, it didn't, and it was a huge problem, and I'm one of those people, right? So I was listening to the game on radio and didn't get to see the catch at first. It took Twitter showing me the catch afterwards. Sucks. I'm just going to be the one to say it. But what I would say is, when these things happen, Major League Baseball needs to be the one to step in and say, how do we make sure the game is available? And they're figuring that out, right, with um, teams that lost their um, you know, their regional television partners. Mm-hmm. Major League Baseball is stepping in and now owns those broadcasts. And they figured out ways to make sure they're still on the air in those communities and how you can stream them. And if on a night like last night, Masson's app or whatever their device is is not working then Major League Baseball needs to step in and say, make the Blue Jays broadcast available. Say, hey, we are aware there is a problem with streaming. For those of you that have access to Masson, we are going to offer you the opportunity to instead sign into the Sportsnet stream and watch the Blue Jays broadcast because the Masson broadcast isn't available to you. Like This is a new technology thing. And these are, but Major League Baseball's got to get on top of that. In the same way that if the power went out somewhere, they'd have to figure out what to do in those. Mo- you got to have plans 
in place for when things like this occur. And last night was dreadful. Hopefully it'll be the only... I mean, I, if, if, I, if tonight I can't watch, there's going to be real problems. I don't know what I do, but there's going to be real problems. Um, but let's go back to that. Runners on first and second. One out. I'm looking at it one more time. Colton Kowser is right behind him. So it, it's not even a certainty that the first run scores, right? Because that uh, runner wasn't all the way over at third or anything like that. I think the first runner scores it, because it the ball, all, the it was ball all under was Kirk. So yeah, maybe you're right. The, that's a great point too. <laughs> the ball was deep enough that they that even Alejandro Kirk should be able to. Um, he is not even halfway between second and third at that point. The ball's deep enough that he should be able to, mm. but given the significance of the moment, it's not even certainty that they send him, right? It's not certain that they would send him in that spot. Now, you're talking about bases loaded with one out, two runners in the scoring position. You ain't feeling good about the circumstances, but the most likely scenario is it's one run in. It's still a 4-3 game. You still have Felix Batista on the mound, and a home plate umpire who had the biggest strike zone that I've ever seen. So I still like my chances in that circumstance. It's close. It was an unbelievable. We all saw it. it's un, an incredible catch. Is it better and more impactful than Cedric's catch against Minnesota? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. It's close. Yeah, recency bias. Like when in, something like this happens, of, the first thing we all say is "catch of the year." Yeah, yeah, right. In terms of level of difficulty, I mean, one's actually robbing a home run. Yeah, like that's robbing a home run. And then what about Cedric's uh, the the catch Cedric had in Kansas? Well, City? that was. I mean, I I love that one too. Obviously, not Again, as impactful. Not, that wasn't in Kansas. That was against Kansas City, right? Wasn't I thought it, it was in Kansas. I, I thought it was the like, Sunday game in Baltimore. No, I thought or we, maybe we're thinking of different catches. I'm thinking of the one, the range one, the one where he got over and cl- and closed on the ball that nobody thought he could close on. Yeah, I, I, I thought remember being in, in Kansas City in Kansas and like City? he like laid out under the warning track in Kansas. Oh, City. you are thinking? I'm thinking of one he was coming in. On. Yeah. Okay. All right. Fair enough. Yeah, we're, we're, all thinking, we're all thinking. Too many Cedric Maybe games. the one I'm thinking again was against Seattle. Now that I think of it, I don't know. Um, this is very difficult. Yeah. Um, to me, when you rob a home, when you rob a home run, it is hard to beat that, right? Like, it is hard to top actual home run robberies. Cedric Rollins robbed Byron Bucks of a three-run homer. Mm-hmm. That's a three-run homer on a higher wall. Like, I, I don't think that that gets topped. Now, that last night, and certainly the nervy feelings that we had about that game, if you want to say just because it was the ninth inning, like, that makes it more impactful. Like, if Byron Buxton hits that home run, you got eight innings to try to mm-hmm. fix it. But I don't know. I'm always going to be inclined to like have home run robberies be. I, they're both damn good plays, man. And it was a reminder that even when Austin Hayes is struggling a bit offensively, that like you know he's a complete baseball player and really helpful. I'm not trying to say that he's tanked offensively, but you know it is. Can't help but notice. Here we are in the second half of another season, and there's been a bit of a dip yeah. offensively for Austin Hayes. Just a bit of a dip. Um, but that was a hell of a play. Who cares? Who cares if it was actually the catch of the year? These are dumb debates that we have. Like, it's such a dumb sports radio thing. What's the catch of the year? Who cares? They're both incredible plays. It was awesome. It kicked ass. 
In the moment we were talking about it, like it would have tied the game, right? It definitely would not have tied the game. Colton Kowser was standing right behind him. The ball would have bounced right to Colton Kowser. Just, this is, people don't have faith in Colton Kowser. Now, I understand. Yeah, it's been a tough start for Colton Kowser and all that, but he's standing right there. The Cedric Mullins robbery was in the fourth inning. So the fourth way. inning? Why did yeah. I think it was in the I don't first know. inning? I, I thought it was in the first inning, too. I'm not the sure The hell why. did I think it was in the I first know. inning? It was in the I fourth guess inning? It was, that game was just going really fast, I think. Maybe? I don't know. But yeah, it, it was the fourth inning of that Apple TV Friday game. And it might have been an 8 o'clock start, and so it oh, happened yeah, It maybe, happened yeah. at a certain... No. No. No, it would have been the opposite way. It would have happened at that point at like 9 o'clock. The hell? Why did I think that was in the first inning? What was the score at that point? It was zero zero. Because this was the game. I think it went to extras, right? I think. I think yeah, and we yeah. definitely were convinced they would have lost that game had yeah. it not been for that catch. <sighs> F. They're, I don't know. They're big. I mean, Cedric Mullins makes too many catches. That's the. It is true, they, right? Like this like is he, the definitive. Half the season. This is the Austin Hayes play that we have. Yeah. And everything else is Cedric Mullins. And to your point, he's only played half the season, and yet all of the other moments of the year have been Cedric Mullins moments. So. This is just more memorable because it wasn't Cedric Mullins. Ah, they're both great. Who the hell cares? What are we doing here? What are we doing? They're both great. Uh, just a, the reflection on Austin Hayes. Austin Hayes in. Sorry, I'm just trying to pull up his July numbers. Uh, in July, Austin Hayes hit 162. Yikes. He's still batting 280. I had 284 right? for the season. Yeah. I'm not. It's not like I said. Yeah, it yeah. doesn't feel as dramatic a dip, but 162 for the month of July is concerning when his track record is really good through July. Correct. It's concerning that this is the story of Austin Hayes, and that as much as we say like Austin Hayes should be a part of this thing, like he's got to prove that he can keep it up for the entirety of a season. It's okay to have a month. Everybody gets a month, to your point, right? Like, at this point, he's still hitting 284 for the year. You're going to take that. Some base percentages dipped all the way down to 324. He only got on base at a 203 clip. A 203 clip in that's, July. That's horrible. Those Hale. numbers yeah. have to bounce back. They have to. One, because the Orioles aren't good enough, right? Like, they don't have so many offensive, particularly with Cedric Mullins out. They don't have so many offensive options that they can afford to have Austin Hayes continue to struggle. And two, for Austin Hayes, like, for his for him to solidify his place within this for years to come, he's got to prove that he can give you a, a season of being a contributor. Not just... I can contribute for three months and then fall off the face of the planet. Like, Austin Hayes has to keep it up. And so, again, everybody gets a month. One, every, you go through, great players have months where they just, it wasn't their month. As long as Austin Hayes picks it right back up in August, who cares? But it needs to be, we need to be thinking about it in terms of how we talk about Austin Hayes because those are unacceptable numbers. I mean, to Griffin's point, that's Jorge Mateo. Really, that's Jorge Mateo. 162, 203, 243. 243. 160, his slash line's 162, 203, 243 for the month of July. Yikes. Yikes. Big yikes. But again, plenty of time. Plenty of time to turn that around. Um, nothing that's particularly been percolating this morning beyond what we already discussed. Um, there was a report, 
from NBC Sports Bay Area that after Anthony D. Sclafani got hurt, the Giants won't trade their pitchers. I don't know that any of us really thought the Giants were going to be trading. Like I don't feel like yeah. we were having a significant conversation about the Giants trading pitchers. So I don't know how significant. Who, yeah, I don't know. Here's a weird one. Um, according to MLB.com, after they traded Savale, the Guardians might be interested in trading for a pitcher. Like, because well, they they got Syndergaard, right? Then, it's a then, weird bit, man. Well, because they they trade. I mean, the Guardians are. I get they're like in that. Yeah, I guess that we've Milwaukee. talked about that before. Being the team that's constantly going both ways, that like you look at what where a contract is, where you think a player's value is, trading them when you think they have the greatest value, and then also like acquiring at the same time. I that came up in the beginning of the years. Like maybe the Orioles could be that type of team. Maybe they could be the team that. Now, they're obviously not going to do this, but at the beginning of the year, we're talking about maybe they're the team that trades away Anthony Santander, but also is trying to add. Like, maybe they become that team that's trying to do both things. Um, and then a report from... Sorry, I'm trying to make sure I have this right. Um, the LA Times, Jack Harris says the Dodgers uh, are in hot pursuit of Eduardo Rodriguez. Belief from some is that plan A is Verlander, and plan B is Eduardo Rodriguez. He says they're in hot pursuit of Eduardo Rodriguez. So that speaks to the competition that the Orioles could have if they're trying to wait it out with the Tigers and have the price come down. The Dodgers are example A of the team that says, we'll trade away our prospects because we'll just spend to replace what we lose in our prospects. We'll make up for it by spending in order to do yeah, it. Yeah, I know. Why not both, really, for them? <laughs> That's sort of the point, sort of the point. So those are some of the latest uh, from what's going on uh, today as we move towards the 6 p.m. trade deadline. All right, when we come back in, we will uh, get a tidbit. We'll get. Oh, you know, we didn't talk about the – I did not watch the match. I did not get up at 3 a.m. to watch it. Um, we had reached out to some of our friends that I thought might have and either didn't or weren't available to. I, it seems disastrous. Yeah. I mean, like, it, on having not watched the match, like, this is the one thing I could say. I watching last week, it did one one felt like a bad result. But at least during the match in watching it, I felt like there were moments of brilliance and opportunities for that like you could say that they had some bad luck in there as well. And you could viably come away from that saying, that's still a team that's capable of winning a World Cup. It doesn't look good, and that wasn't a good result, but they still look capable of winning a World Cup. Not watching the match and just seeing what everybody was saying about it, and obviously the big it story seemed, is in extra time. Yeah, it was like the ninety. Yeah, there was there I, was a ball off the post that that could have it eliminated have eliminated them. eliminated the women from the World Cup. It it has the feel the response that I'm getting from everybody. It has the feel of this is no longer a team that's capable of winning a World Cup. Now the likely now they're not going to play Saturday night. So thanks a lot for that. Instead, they'll be playing at 5 a.m. on Sunday. Oh, great! I, ironically, it's when I'm uh, my day to serve at the helping up mission, so I'll probably be awake, but I won't be able to watch because I'll be, you know, helping out at helping up. Um, and it likely will be Sweden, who's one of the Ooh. top teams in the entire World Cup. It don't look great. I mean, it it does not look great for the U.S. right now. It looks bad, but. I don't want to say too much again because I didn't get to watch the match, and maybe it just seemed. I mean, I watched highlights, and then you know everybody, like everybody they, essentially described it as them. yeah, like but, it was similar to the first two games where they had most of the pressure, and then 
just so never maybe if I had away. watched, I would have came away saying like again there was some bad luck involved. I don't know. I don't know. It's tough. It they definitely do not feel like a team that's capable of winning a World Cup at the moment. It's but they got through, and they at least it wasn't the utter disaster that it could yeah. have been. They got through. They will move on to the knockout round, but yuck. And this is terrible news. I think Fox like set everything up. Assuming that the U.S. would win, so have a to make sure Saturday. that they would have a primetime Saturday game. So instead, that game is on Fox anyway. There's no baseball on Fox on Saturday, Ooh. and I guess now it's going to be um, the Netherlands and oh, okay. and that'll, that'll be the fr- the primetime Saturday night game on oh, I Fox. Play like Mass Singer or something. That is rough. That is rough. Yeah, maybe they can move it to FS1. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know if they have the ability to flex it back and say, "Hey, just kidding, <laughs> just kidding." All right, when we uh, come back in, we'll get a tidbit, we'll get two-bit, or wind things down for a Tuesday edition of Glenn Clark Radio. Another exciting weekend of affordable family fun at Prince George's Stadium with the Bowie Bay Sox. One of the most special nights of the season on Friday the 4th, Navy Night. Come celebrate the newest plebe class. Back-to-back fireworks carry on to Saturday with our pregame touch-a-truck event. And it's the last of our big hitter bobbleheads, Colton Kowser on Sunday for the first 750 fans. Get your tickets now by calling 301-805-6000 or anytime online at baysox.com. The Bowie Bay Sox, let us be your nine-inning vacation. I'm Michael Jan Grandy, president of A.J. Michaels, your carrier energy expert for 44 years. Save money, energy, and make your home more comfortable and virus-free. Find us at AJMichaels.com. That's AJMichaels.com. The latest edition of PressBox is available now. On the cover, Dave Ginsburg remembers Goose as he looks back on the impact that late Tony Saragusa had both on and off the field here in Baltimore. Plus, he explains how Goose's kids are working to continue that legacy with the Goose Flights program. Also inside, Todd Karpovich profiles the path Tyler Wells has taken to becoming a star in the Orioles rotation. And you'll find a special summer travel guide with information about events and activities throughout the state. PressBox is available for free at over 500 area locations, including 60 Royal Farm stores. And you can always find the entire edition, as well as the best daily coverage of the O's, Ravens, and Terps at PressBoxOnline.com. That first sip. That first bite. Mm. Start your day off right with a delicious breakfast at Royal Farms. Choose from a fantastic selection of fresh Royal Farms breakfast sandwiches and top it off with a rich, hot cup of the freshest coffee in the world. At Royal Farms, breakfast is available day and night. It's the freshest breakfast in the world. Real fresh, real fast. Royal Farms. It's a Maryland thing you wouldn't understand. Where the waves meet the shore, you will find Dorchester County. Hi, this is Jimmy Charles. When I think of Maryland, I think Dorchester County on the eastern shore where it's open for making memories. Dorchester County, it's a Maryland thing. For more info, visit www.visitdorchester.org. It's a Maryland Birdland. Earn points all year long with the Orioles Clubhouse Rewards MasterCard, where your love of the game meets great rewards. Built for Orioles fans, you can earn once-in-a-lifetime experiences exclusively curated for card members. Plus, earn four times at Oreo Park at Camden Yards, three times on gas and travel, and receive 5,000 rewards points when you spend $250 in the first 90 days. Get yours now at Orioles.com slash Clubhouse Rewards. Terms apply. Use everywhere MasterCard is accepted. Picking a restaurant to try for the first time? Let's look at the Costas Inn. Here's a few checklist items. Quality of the food. Check. 
quality of service? Check. Does restaurant have plenty of free parking? Check. And finally, does restaurant have delicious steamed crabs, crab cakes, crab soup, and specials galore? Check, check, check. Costas Inn, 4100 North Point Boulevard. They check all the boxes. If you miss anything on the show, don't forget that you can watch full episodes at youtube.com slash pressboxonline. And you can download podcasts on Apple, iTunes, Amazon, and Grindr. Wait, did I say Grindr? I don't think that you would find it on Grinder. Not that I know what's on Grinder or anything, I swear. Second thought, you know what? I don't care what you think. Here's Glenn. All right, winding down for a Tuesday edition of the program. One other update. Um, I guess it's uh, John Morosi says the Braves are also in on Justin Verlander. You said that John Heyman yes. has the Padres, Padres now. In. So, I mean, so why again, not? We go from the Padres being the team that you were looking to to try to get some help to now being the competition in order to get sons of bitches. Uh, thanks a lot, Texas. Thanks for nothing. <sighs> anyway, um, it's what it is. It's what it is. So we will continue to monitor that throughout the day. And again, a reminder, 6 o'clock today, Stan, Luke, Ross, they will get together. Facebook.com slash Sports. Griffin and I will be responding to it tomorrow on the program. And if the Orioles acquire somebody, we'll have guests related to whoever it is they acquire. We will be at the uh, – we will absolutely be reacting throughout the course of the day tomorrow. Um, we're not going to do a long show today because it's awkward because some of you listen to the show later on in the day and who wants to hear another 30 minutes of us talking about wan- oh, the Braves wan- are in. Yeah, wandering or wondering about teams that might be in when like by that point the moves have already been made. So it's just what it is. We're going to do a normal a 2-hour show like we used to do back in the day but haven't done in a very long time here today. Tidbit is brought to you by Superbook. Great to have Superbook on board with us as an official partner of GCR, and we are hooking you up. Man, this is a great offer. Use the promo code GlennClark23. GlennClark, G-L-E-N-N-C-L-A-R-K-23, to score up to $250 with the first bet bonus. Win or lose, they're going to match your first bet up to $250 with the promo code GlennClark23. Glenn Clark 23. It's all one word, no spaces, Glenn Clark 23. Don't miss out. We're getting ready for football season. Obviously, baseball continues. Glenn Clark 23, and they will match up to $250, that first bet bonus with Superbook. Make sure you sign up today. Uh, all right, so uh, the AL East is the second time in the divisional era, so that's since 1969, that every team in a division is over 500 entering the month of August. Of course, the Yankees in last place, yet still 56 and 51, 55 and 51. Mm. Um, the other was, do you remember the, the only other time this ever happened? It was 2005, and it was the NL East that uh, that, that year that uh, had every team over 500 entering the entering the month of August. Uh, that that year they finished. I can't remember. Right. Yeah. Like yeah. It, I mean, it wasn't overwhelming. The Braves won the division with right. nine wins. Okay. And then uh, the Nationals came in last. They were eighty-one and eighty-one. What year was this? This was two thousand five. Two thousand five. Yeah. I can't. Re- all right. Yeah. All right. Uh, the U.S. Women's National Team we just talked about it. They were. We thought I'm sorry, they I've, were. I'm very distracted by this absurd tweet that Marlon. Like I get it. Marlon Humphrey does this all the time. I did not see this last night. Did you see what he tweeted last night? No. What did he tweet last night? I know this will trigger some Ravens fans, but it honestly doesn't matter because it's in the past, LOL. Just stop reading. But Ray Rice did not get that first down on 4th and 29. Clearly one yard short. Horrible spot. I'm not mad. I'm just saying, LOL. What What? in the world? Where is that coming from? Like, what in the world? 
And I get it. Like, it's on you if you get worked up about anything that Marlon Humphrey tweets because he's <laughs> like he's doing a, a thing. Like, he's it's a, an online character. But, like, why? Bro, why? So bizarre. I just saw that. I'm like, what? What are we doing? And I like Marlon, right? <laughs> like, and we've had a good time with him. He came out and did Tyus's show. We talked about these types of things. He's a, he's a nice guy. What is that? <laughs> I ended up talking to him. Marlon came out to an event that Reed and, a private event that Reed and I did last year. Marlon showed up, and I was just chatting with him for a minute. I'm like, um, you know, I appreciate, and I said, I appreciate how accessible you make yourself. That you're not, your Twitter account, in an era where guys just don't get on Twitter at all, or it's some sanitized corporate version of themselves, I'm like, I appreciate the fact that it's you. Like, I appreciate whether we, you know, whatever it is, that it doesn't feel like the business of Marlon Humphrey that it's actually Marlon Humphrey that's on Twitter. But maybe I take that back. <laughs> maybe I... You're walking, like, it, walking it back, you're done Maybe with it. I'm done with that. Like, just, maybe, maybe and you, I meant it. Like, I'd sick... I, I really do. I, boy, it's going to go down a path. It's not just Twitter. I cut you off? Yeah. There's like a whole... Like, I, you feel like you're dealing with someone who's not real. Like, that there are some other version of them. Some buttoned-up corporate version of themselves. And I appreciate, I, like, I don't, it's hard for me to be friends with those types of people or to have, rela- like, I just can't, I can't imagine putting on a mask every day and being like, I'm going to be Mr. Beast, you know? I, I just can't fathom it. Like, dude, you're a guy. Well, Mr. Beast now, I think, is Mr. Beast. Stop. Like, Whatever. I don't, I don't care. I don't care about Mr. Beast. I really don't. I don't know anything about, I really know nothing about Mr. Beast. But you know, I, like I, so many people in the world at this point, like wake up to play a character, and I just can't imagine that, right? Whereas I, what I've appreciated about Marlon Humphrey is that, like, he's not—he'll spell things incorrectly sometimes. Like there'll be poor grammar. Like he's, he's him. He's just a guy going on Twitter and talking. It's not being run through three layers of, uh, yeah. Let me, let me check in with them. You know, business manager, let me check in with agent, let me check in, let me make sure all these things are good. He's on there. For better or for worse, I appreciate about Kevin Durant. I do. Like, Kevin Durant is a gajillionaire. He is an industry. And yet, he just tweets as Kevin Durant. No one gets to do that when they're that level of famous. I appreciate it. Yes, it's it's weird sometimes, but I, pre- I appreciate the fact that Marlon Humphrey is just Marlon Humphrey. But I might have to take it back. <laughs> Maybe it'd be better if he was sanitized corporate Marlon Humphrey instead. I'm not sure. Sorry. Go ahead. Um, yeah, women. well, so uh, we, we went into it thinking it was a favorable matchup. They are 10-0-0. They were 10-0-0 all time against Portugal, outscoring them 39-0, of course, Just last night. scored a damn goal. They would have yeah. um, Corbin Carroll, he reached the 25 home runs, 35 stolen base marks in his first 134 career games. It is the second fewest games ever needed by a player to reach 25 home runs, 35 stolen bases. You can name the one guy that did it faster. 35. 35. 35 stolen bases uh-huh. and 25 home runs. 25-35, right? Yes. Um, 25-35. Alex Rodriguez. Not Alex Rodriguez. Barry Bonds? Not Barry Bonds. A he little a, more recent. A little more recent than both those guys. Trout. Mike Trout. Yeah. 128 games yeah, for Mike sense. Trout to reach that mark. 
Uh, the sad one here, the Yankees lineup, they have struck out 30 times over their last two, ga- last two games. It is the most in a two-game span in franchise history. Just just tough, just tough for the Yankees. Just really, yeah. you hate to see it. Um, Freddie Peralta had a great uh, uh, great outing last weekend, uh, last, when- or last weekend, last Wednesday. Uh, he had 13 strikeouts without a walk, so it got me thinking about it's the Orioles. opposite of Jack Flaherty. Yes, <laughs> yeah. Um, we got me thinking about Orioles pitchers with the with the with that most strikeouts and fewest walks or whatever. most strikeouts zero walks most in a game. Can walks. you name? Uh, let's do the top five. They all oh, the top five have twelve or more strikeouts in a game with no walks. I mean, I'm Orioles gonna history. I'm gonna guess Jim Palmer. Jim Palmer did not does not make the top oh, five of this remarkable. list. He um, had eleven. He had eleven. So I'm looking for twelve or more. In 1976, Palmer did have eleven strikeouts in a game. Mike no Messina. Walks. Mike Messina. Is tied for first. 15 strikeouts. Tied for first. Yes. Right. September 24th, 2000 was when Mike Messina did this. Like 15 strikeouts. I'm not, I can't even think of it. I'm. Uh, all right. Hang on. Okay. Hang on. Flanagan? Uh, Flanagan did not have 15, but he is in the top five. 13. Okay. 13 strikeouts. He had the Freddie Peralta game. 13 strikeouts, no walks. I mean, again, I, so, like, it'd be silly to not guess, guy. McNally. Not McNally. Dobson. Not Dobson. Quayar. Not Quayar. Jesus. It, it, yeah, those are good guesses, but they're not. They're... Steve Stone. Not Steve Stone. Steve Barber. No. Hoyt Wilhelm. Not Hoyt Wilhelm. The, so, this guy is more, he is on this side of the millennium that this guy did it. 15 strikeouts. Chris Tillman. Not Chris Tillman. He's not top five either. Bedard. Eric Bedard. Eric Bedard had 15 strikeouts in 2007 with no walks that. in a game. It was I July 7th. You don't remember where you were? I July 7th. I don't remember 7th. that at all. 2007. Oh, I lived in Arizona then, so it wouldn't have been the same. Two more. Um, Two more had 12 or more strikeouts. I mean, I got to think guys that had shorter. Jeremy Guthrie. Not Jeremy Guthrie. Yikes. Um, John Means. John Means did, in fact, he had 12 strikeouts twice uh, in the no-hitter and, uh, well, should have been perfect game, no-hitter and uh, at the end of 2020. Okay. Also had a 12-strikeout game with no walks. Nobody remembers anything about yeah. 2020. And then this guy did it in the 60s. The 60s, you say, in the 60s, but it wasn't one of the other guys. No, in the it was 60s. not. That's because it was... That's c- I don't know who it was in the 60s. It was because it was Milt Pappas. It was not Milt Pappas. It's because it was... It was... Uh, you ready for it? Uh, yeah, go ahead. Dick Hall. Oh, Dick Hall. I actually do know who Dick Hall yeah. is. Dick Hall in 1962 yeah. also Yikes. had 12 strikeouts. And then some, some honorable mentions, Cobb Radish had 11 strikeouts uh, last season. And, and, and then um, Wade Miley also had an 11 strikeout game with no walks in 2016. All right. Yeah. All right. A lot of big Wade Miley show today. Yeah, we're a lot of Wade Miley going on. It's the most Wade Miley I think I've ever done in a show. All right, very good. Here's what's coming up, Totally Tubularized. Totally Tubular is brought to you by your local Toyota dealer and buyatoyota.com. The Toyota Tacoma comes in a range of models and trim lines, so you can choose the perfect Tacoma to reflect your unique personality and driving habits. Check out buyatoyota.com for deals on new Tacomas from your local Toyota dealer today. Uh, again, as I mentioned, Mass in the Night, Orioles Jays, 7 o'clock, Kyle Bradish, and the returning Hyunjin Ryu. Interesting to see uh, how far he's able to go in his first start back. The Women's World Cup continues overnight tonight. We will find out who the U.S.'s next opponent is. Argentina and Sweden at 3 a.m. on Fox, followed by Panama and France. 
And then on FS1, South Africa and Italy at 3 a.m., followed by Jamaica and Brazil. Nationals Brewers, 7 on Mass and 2. MLB Network, Red Sox Mariners at 9.30. TBS, Rays Yankees at 7. ESPN's got uh, Minnesota Lynx, Connecticut Sun at 7. The Ultimate Fighter, Team McGregor and Team Chandler. How many episodes are left in that? Uh, can't be too many. Can't be, right? I mean, been, yeah. It, Michael Chandler got a bad deal in that. I mean, because he, he was going to fight. Is there going to be a fight? Yeah. No, no there's not going to be a fight. A friendly tonight between uh, AC Milan and Barcelona at 11 o'clock from somewhere in the West Coast. I think Vegas, maybe. Uh, NBA TV, New York Liberty, LA Sparks at 10. Tennis Channel coverage of the city open from down in D.C. It includes uh, Francis TFO's first match at his kind of home event. And uh, WWE NXT tonight at 8 on USA. Non-sports highlights? Uh, not really. If anyone had Paramount Plus, I could mention the hip-hop documentary that's coming out. It's called Mixtape. People do have Paramount Plus, bro. Okay. Like, that, that is, there are people that have it. Uh, then Netflix is starting their volume three of their Untold series, which is like the Untold stories. They're all sports related, but the first one I know you're not going to be a fan of because uh, tonight it is Jake Paul and the problem, the problem child story on Netflix. I thought these were supposed to be about sports. They were. They uh, well, Jake Paul, uh, uh, you know, no, being brave and no. starting a new career, no. in boxing, no. And I love the Untold series. It's been great. Next week is going to be Johnny Football. Yeah, Johnny I saw Johnny Manziel yes. one. Uh, yeah. Then Hall of Shame is the third one. Uh, is that the steroids? Yes, yeah. like the doping in the early 2000s. And then Swamp Kings is the final that's one. That's the Florida one. That's the one everybody's... Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah, that that's the like one about really the good. Urban Meyer, Aaron Tim Hernandez, Tebow. Tim Tebow. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Florida yes. team. Yeah, yes. I'm all in that for that in one. That four yeah. weeks. Well, I guess three weeks. Three weeks. Yeah. But this one, I... No. <laughs> you don't like the, the cold open? Hard pass. I, think, I guess it's because Jake Paul's fighting this weekend. I'm, so. Yeah, fighting. Fighting. Was it, who is it? Diaz? Is yes, that who Nate it is? Diaz. Nate Diaz, Jake Paul, boxing. Good. Good boxing match over the weekend. Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, it was a huge fight. Earl Spence, it was a, yeah, I mean, it was one of the great performances ever from Terrence Crawford. It was unbelievable. All right, very good. We'll get it all at glennclarkradio.com. Thanks today to uh, Tito Landrum as well as to Tim Kirkshin. We'll get that up in the greatest hits section of the. Oh my God, it's so good. Tab at glennclarkradio.com. Anything tomorrow? Uh, we will go to Aberdeen tomorrow. Kyle okay. Verbitsky. Uh, he okay. came over in the Cole Irvin trade. Uh, okay. Solid season. Uh, I didn't know there was anybody else in the Cole Irvin trade. If I'm being honest <laughs> with you, I had no clue. All right. How did we miss that? Yeah. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, stuff and things. Stuff and things. Tomorrow, obviously, recap and reaction to uh, whatever does or does not happen at the deadline. Thanks to everybody at PressBox, all of our great sponsors and partners, including Visit Baltimore, Live Casino and Hotel Maryland, Glory Days Grill, Dorchester County, the Bowie Bay Sox, Royal Farms, Costas Inn, All-American Lacrosse, Superbook, Baltimore Orioles, Birdland Sports, Easy Pass MD, Washington County, your local Toyota dealer, and buyatoyota.com. Thanks to Griffin at Griffin underscore Bass. Follow us, Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at Glenn Clark Radio. Have a great Tuesday evening. Go Birds, and hey, maybe a pitcher. Duke sucks.